Council to order. Could I have a roll call, please? Brian Goffer. Bill Goggins. Here. John Kapler. John, you need to unmute. We're having roll call, but uh, John, you need to unmute and see. <laughs> okay. Betsy Pringle. Here. Larry Totally. Here. Rick Whitney. Here. And Ruth Wright. Here. And Brian Gottrip is here. Yay. All right. So we've got everybody here. Uh, so uh, our agenda for tonight, uh, we've got some minutes to approve from our December 10th meeting, and then we've got council member reports, including election of officers and F1 reporting and photos and bios for the website. Then we have an opportunity for the audience to speak to us. And then we go into unfinished business with the miscellaneous code amendments, followed by a discussion or actually a, a briefing on the Northeast Recycling and Transfer Station project. That's our agenda. Uh, so our first item to deal with is the minutes of our December 10th, 2020 meeting. Does anybody have any additions or comments to those minutes? Additions or corrections, I should say. If not, I would welcome someone to move for the approval of those minutes. I'll move. Okay, it's been moved. Is there a second? Second. All right, it's been moved and seconded. All in favor of approving the minutes of the December 10th, 2020 Houghton Community Council meeting, say aye. 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 Okay. Opposed? Great. So our council member reports and comments uh, includes a provision for election of officers. I, I will repeat what I've been saying for the last 10 years. That is that I'm perfectly willing to have anyone else who aspires to serve as chair um, take over. I'm willing to continue, but I, it's not going to hurt my feelings if somebody else would like to do the job. Um, so with that, I'll open nominations for uh, chair of Hope Community Council for the next year. I would like to nominate Rick Whitney as chair. Okay, are there any other nominations? I'm, I'm serious, <laughs> I'm very open to it. Going once, going twice. All right, nominations are closed and I guess by acclamation, you're stuck with me for another year as chair of the Houghton Community Council. For vice chair, uh, I am now opening nominations for vice chair for Houghton Community Council for the coming year. I nominate John Kapler for vice chair. All right, John's been nominated, John Kapler. Do we have any other nominations? You can nominate yourself, you know. <laughs> so, going once, twice. All right, then I'm closing the nominations and by acclamation, John is the vice chair of Houghton Community Council for the coming year. And we will, I'm sure I speak on John's behalf as well. We're, we're proud to serve and, and we'll do our very best to fulfill our responsibilities in that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. you do a great job, both thank of you. you guys, thank you. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, John keeps me on track in a great way. Um, F1 reporting. 
I, this, I presume uh, that this is just a, a reminder that we've got the reporting requirements coming up. Jeremy? That's correct. I think John wanted to have this on the agenda, just if any of the <clears throat> um, council members had questions or. Right. Anybody have any questions about the F1 form, the reporting requirements? Last, no, I... year, last year, it was a lot more detailed. Um, is it, will it, will it uh, carry over for this year from the detail of last year? Because that, that took a, a little bit more time. I haven't, I haven't opened it up. Uh, typically, they just build on whatever it was the previous year. That would be my expectation. John, do you have any knowledge of any new requirements? I think it looks like, looks like Toby has some information. Oh, great. Yeah, I actually served on the PDC task force that designed the new system. And the answer is that you can copy your previous year's F1 into the current year and then just make the necessary changes. Great. Right. Anything else to add, John? No, that's exactly okay. what I was gonna say. Nice. <laughs> so is, is there a specific link since I'm new at this? <laughs> I filled it out when I visit pointed, but I haven't done the follow-up. Uh, since you got elected last year, I'm not sure that you'll need to do one this year. There is a link to the secretary. You can call the number and talk to them. They're very, very helpful, Larry. And if you need some help with that, I'm sure Jeremy or uh, I am very happy to help get that to you. Also, I believe if you log on to your account, it, yeah. it should tell you. I, I think you're right about that, Brian. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then uh, we've got an item for photos and bios for the website. Is anybody still uh, working on getting those in? Brian. My, Brian. Man, my, my hairstylist and makeup artist have been um, busy due to COVID. So I've been waiting to get in to have my hair styled. I've been taking care of mine, Brian. <laughs> already booked them that's why i can't get in if i could make a point uh jeremy mcmahon uh mentioned in his email that uh we were going to have after COVID is over single headshots done as well as a group photo and so that's all i know about it jeremy if there's anything else you want to report on that please do oh, that's i think that's it um the Otherwise, the best we can do is get a shot of the Zoom screen. So I think um, as a group shot, we talked about just waiting until the community council can, can gather again. So sometime in 2022, huh? <laughs> just joking. <laughs> just need a really wide, wide angle lens. Six feet, six feet, six feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if, okay. we have, if we all have headshots of some sort, uh, should we just temporarily use those? Because our photo has been taken down. We don't have a photo because when Larry came on board, we didn't get an updated photo. So if we have headshots, I think it would be nice so people know who we are. Yeah, well, if, you, if um, members want to just send them along to uh, Prins and myself, then we can get them posted on the webpage. I, I, I did that, so are you, I'm, I'm confused now. I, I thought that this, I did this, it seems like 
couple of months ago or something, maybe November, I'm guessing, but it's been a while. So that has been taken down and we need to resubmit. Not sure, Mine Don's still there. The one that friends took, mine yeah. is still there. Mine's still oh. there. Okay. I didn't check yours. All right. Well, maybe each of us should check. And if you don't have one, if you could submit it until we can get uh, the post COVID uh, photos taken, that would be helpful. It does look like I have one for everybody other than Brian. So Brian, when he gets his um, makeup done, <laughs> send that along with the bio. And I think that'll perfect it for the um, individual headshots. Excellent. And then the group just um, has a picture of the dais without you. All right. Very well. All right, Brian, get that stylus appointment. Let's go. Um, any other council member reports or comments on any topics? John. Uh, just a, a couple of quick things. Number one, I want to thank staff very, very much for putting the little bars in the margins of the reports. Uh, I do think that it's a real easy way to hone in on where things have changed that are different from the previous report package. So I really appreciate you sticking with it and doing that. I, I think that makes a big difference. Um, covered everything else, thank you. All right, anyone else? Cool. So uh, now we move into requests from the audience. Do we have uh, any people from the uh, public who would care to address us? I'm not, I'm not familiar with the, the non-participants, how it, I, there's no way for me to monitor whether there's people out there. Oh, right. um, Rick, if you'd like, I can call out who has their hand raised. So if any of the attendees want to click and raise their hand, but you do have an individual uh, with the name Tolga who has their hand raised. Okay, so I can't see that. I don't know if I'm doing something wrong, but if you, if Jeremy, if you would be willing to manage the, um, you know, the people who would like to speak to us, um, that would be great. Okay. Really you can also see it if you, if you click on the participants at the bottom and then, and then um, click participants, uh, there's two tabs. One has the, has us and the other tab has all the attendees. Does the, okay, I, I clicked on that. I'm not seeing a picture of anybody. You should but, see a, if you see a list of names under yes. attendees. Yes. And then next to that is a blue, a blue hand. Okay. Or a yellow. Or a yellow. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm not seeing it. If, if you would be willing to manage it for me, Jeremy, I'd appreciate it rather than waste sure. the we'll, meeting we'll time on this process. Yeah, I'll just call out the first three in order. Um, first is Tolga. The next one is Demonstrum, and the third will be Stacy D. Excellent. So Tolga, would you please yeah. uh, share with us your, your uh, yeah. comments? Yeah, good afternoon, uh, folks. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to speak out. Um, I had recently requested some information about two weeks ago uh, from the uh, organization, basically the Northeast project site to send us some environmental studies. Uh, I have yet to receive any information back 
in regards to the studies that we had requested. Uh, we get an automated email and then I spoke with Mr. Kepler uh, right after that. And he told me that we would be getting something back. But since then, after I spoke with him, we have not heard anything back. What is your SLA to turn around for public information? Uh, that's my question number one. Question number two is, I also on the questionnaires that you all sent out for the Rose Hill site, the picture that was basically taken to the facility doesn't show the elementary school, which is less than half a mile away, doesn't show right next door there is actually a daycare facility or the national park that is right across the street as well. None of that is identified in the picture. May I know why that is? And also in other areas, these kind of facilities are actually highlighted and identified. Why is basically Rose Hill being singled out when it comes to that? Is the pictures that are being taken from the satellite at the same level? Or why is it basically like not showing these additional things that are literally next door? Because I live very close to the facility and the daycare center is like 10 yards away from the main entrance. Thank you. Thank you, Tolga. Um... I presume we'll have an opportunity to, to obtain that information as part of the uh, presentation that we get. And we'll certainly ask that question if it's not, if it's not covered. Who's next, Jeremy? Uh, Damon Strum. Damon Strum. Hi, just wanted to express just thanks to everybody on the council for taking time tonight for fielding um, comments and whatnot. Um, just wanted to add my comment to the public record as far as the Taylor Field location. Uh, I live in Bridal Tree and just the, the high density of families and children that are in that proximity. And looking at the locations that are available um, for consideration, looking at the Redmond and the Woodenville locations being industrial, commercial, um, it just seems really clear to me as far as the impact on existing traffic flows that are already an issue on 116th, especially at that intersection. Um, and then in addition to that, all the families, the private re residences that are around the area just want to uh, ask <laughs> that, that that location, which already carries the, the transfer site burden, um, not be considered for expansion. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next. Stacy D. Hi, um, thank you again for your time tonight. I really appreciate you um, all being a part of our community and listening to all of our concerns today. Um, so I just wanted to reach out and say that I was feeling concerned about the transfer station project after reading the December notes from the city council meeting that you'll be discussing tonight. I read in the notes on the second page, they said that none of the transfer station locations that have been updated have ever been moved from their location. They've all actually been expanded at their same location, which felt um, a little bit, um, um, I don't know exactly how to put it. Um, it, it kind of feels like this whole search is a formality that they'll be leaving the transfer station at that location no matter what based on 
the history of these kind of projects. Um, I also went to the neighborhood association meeting where we had someone come and speak about the project. And um, she told us that the transfer station could not be built within 1000 feet of a school or park. And when we spoke to her, um, she didn't seem to know that the current location is actually right across the street from Bridal Trails. And she told us that that just may impact where they were to build the new um, transfer station on that site. Um, and many of, so I took that, I took that to mean that they would be building on top of Taylor Field, which is um, an, a landfill. Um, Taylor Field has been a community location for us for over 15 years now. And many of my neighbors are not aware that this would actually happen. Many of them think that the, um, the transfer station would either stay where it is, or they thought that it has outgrown its current location and it would definitely be moved. And they were all really surprised when I brought this up with them. Um, I know that traffic's already an issue. We don't have a lot of sidewalks in our neighborhood. There is a pedestrian bridge on 60th that crosses the interstate. Um, and children walk to school through Taylor Field. Oh, sorry, yes, they walk to school through Taylor Field when they normally do go to school. Um, I've reached out to the city before about adding in traffic lights. And I've been told that there aren't enough accidents in our neighborhoods in order to put traffic lights in. Um, so I'm just very worried about increased traffic in this area, especially with few sidewalks. And um, there is a narrative from the county that um, they're going to improve the cur current location. But I've seen photographs of the transfer stations that have been built. And if you take a look at them, and I encourage you to do so, they are cement walls with um, just park benches around here and there, which to many of us is not the same as what we currently have in Taylor Field. If you're familiar with the area, that's regularly used by neighbors um, and it's a community location for us. So I would just encourage everyone to look really carefully at those December meeting notes that you were given and um, to listen to neighbors on this issue. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stacy. John Tim Chisholm. John, you're up. Hello? Can you yes. hear me? Yes, oh, we can. Hi, uh, quick, quick issue. Um, this isn't necessarily, can I speak on any topic right now? Yes, absolutely. This is an open topic. It's not a public hearing on the landfill project. I, uh, I have some concerns about the construction that went on on 108th. Um, there was a subcontractor named Marsh Bank Construction. Marsh Bank Construction had, has done a significant amount of damage to our roadways and left it there. They've done damage to uh, our, my personal driveway as well and personal property. And uh, it's unclear to me if they're ever coming back or when they're coming back. Uh, but they they stopped the project due to weather, and I don't know what the plan is. And I, I understand that the Houghton Community Council's main jurisdiction has to do with zoning, but I think this is a topic that I hope you follow. Uh, thank you. Thank you, John. Hey, Rick, um, I could speak to that. There were some signs when they before they left that said they're coming back in April to finish the work. Okay, uh, John, uh, 
Yeah, I, I would encourage you, if you haven't uh, spoken with Public Works, to speak with the Director of Public Works and find out specifically. I, I, I do believe there is a, a plan in place to complete the work. Obviously, it's not, it's not finished. And I don't think there's any intention to leave it the way it is. There's a, the city has a website on the, or webpage on the project. Christian Knight would be the uh, Public Works contact for community input questions. Thank you, Larry. Thank All you. Right. Yep. Anybody else, Jeremy? Yes. Uh, next up is Sherry. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Thanks. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to come and speak and uh, voice my concerns. I, I feel like uh, I'm here to talk about uh, the transfer station as well on um, the possible site that they're looking at uh, in Taylor Fields area. I um, think that the the other members that have spoken about that have actually voiced a lot of the concerns that, that I've had as well. Um, we do live right, our back our backyard um, comes right up to Taylor Fields area. And uh, after listening to and, and reading the, the notes from the the community meeting uh, the other week. Um, I'm very concerned about this site being used. Um, not only uh, hearing that they may build not only on top of the landfill, but they're going to be excavating some of the uh, the landfill. That that concerns me a lot. Um, the, the the traffic, uh, the amount of children that have moved in around here. We've we've been here for. Uh, 15 years and uh, there's been many, many families that have moved in since we've been here. Um, ben Franklin Elementary is just down the street and there are a lot of children that walk to school. Um, buses don't come into certain areas if you live close enough to the school. So there are many children who walk through Taylor Fields to get to school um, and also along Northeast 60th as well. Um, so my, my concern is, is the traffic and the lack of sidewalks in that area. If there's gonna be more, you know, more big trucks coming down the street, um, uh, you know, the, the, the speed limit is 25 down there uh, on Northeast 60th and um, not, a, not a lot of people do 25 miles per hour down that street. Um, so my main concern is that as well. And just the environmental impact that it's gonna have. And, um, Yes, that, that's basically my concern. So I, I'm just here to say that I, I oppose that location and I really hope that um, they're seriously looking at the other locations, uh, the more industrial locations, because this is a highly residential area and there's been more houses built along here. Um, and having, having something like that in our neighborhood is, is I feel like it's gonna be a, a detriment to, to our property and uh, to the safety of the children and also to the traffic that's going to bring in as well. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, Jeremy, before I uh, we continue, uh, one thing that I should have asked up front, normally we have a record of people's name, full names and, and addresses. Is that something that you guys have access to or are we just going by people's first names? Um, I would suggest you ask for uh, the full name. We don't necessarily need the address because it's not a public hearing. Okay. All right. Do we have other people who care to speak? Yes. Next up is Marie. Marie, if you could give us your full name. 
Uh, can you hear me right now? Yes, please. Hello? Yes, okay. Marie, could you give us your last name, please? <laughs> My name is Marie Paulson. Okay. Uh, I. I'm hoping you guys aren't feeling ambushed right now. I'm, I'm afraid that you guys are like, wait, what's happening? No, no, we to... don't. No. Okay, well, just, I, I want to be clear, just communication. We're, you've got a lot of people here that I suspect don't normally participate on this level. Yes. We're all in this neighborhood around the transfer station. There's been a lot of talk. We're all neighbors. We're all really close. Um, and at this point, we're talking to anyone and everyone that will listen. We're starting to get signals that they're not going to either they're either not going to move the transfer station or the place they're going to quote unquote move it to is Taylor Fields. Obviously, we are very concerned. So uh, I, I would like to be clear: Are you guys? Uh, I mean, I know you're getting briefed on the information. Do you have any impact on whether this happens or not? on is there's anything you guys can do what can we do to help support that because in case it's not clear um nobody wants it here and i know that <laughs> nobody wants it anywhere near their home i understand that but like no there's like some real reasons why it it really shouldn't be here and we're really not feeling heard i just don't think the people that are uh, possibly at that decision-making level are really appreciating just how big of an impact this is going to have on families with young children. Okay. Th thank you, Marie. You're being heard, and at least from us, and, and uh, we'll, I, as, as the meeting progresses and we have the, the uh, information presented, I, I believe there will be some information presented as, as far as the process and, and our role in the process. Uh, do we have anyone else coming, Jeremy? Next up is Deirdre Johnson. Deirdre, could you speak, please? Hi, um, Council. Thank you. I had sent some initial correspondence regarding both Houghton sites, and then I um, sent some historical documents about the landfill and the transfer station. But I wanted to share with you something I just found out today, and it involves the other two sites. And I wanted to correct what I initially said. Um, my argument was that the Houghton sites were in residential areas and that it should go to the other sites because they were in commercial zones. But when I was on the SAG um, County's call the other night, some woman came on at the end of the call and said, the site at Willows and 124th has actually been rezoned residential. And I've been getting no information. My questions are not getting answered by the county. So I called the city of Redmond planning and I called the planning, uh, uh, the project manager. And then that, that particular location is called Proctor Willows. And I don't know if you know about it, but I am just flabbergasted that it could be considered as a site because it's owned now by Quadrant they are breaking ground next month for 174 townhomes. 10% of them will be affordable housing. There will be mixed use buildings with 195 apartments. So how can King County just pick sites by their acreage and not have looked into the planned development 
for that particular site. Then there's the other site up in Woodenville. And I heard on the call, I've never seen this information anywhere. It's never been shared by the county, but that the site is actually a huge family owned, minority owned business that employs over a hundred people. And I thought, how does the county, the county come up with these, made it to the final four without being kicked out by preliminary screening, they had to have known the, the residential project at Proctor Willows has been in the works for five to six years. That other business is one of the biggest businesses around in Woodenville. They had to have known that. And I personally think that the Houghton Transfer Station at five acres is way too small, no matter if they built it underground, no matter what they did it's too small. I really think that these other proposals are not in good faith. And at this point, the county should be asked to go back and relook at their bottom 15 and figure out some other sites that actually are viable. I think this kind of really looks to me like they made their decision a long time ago and put up three false flags. Thank you. Thank you, Deirdre. Jeremy, is there anyone else? Is Kristen LD. Okay, I'm not sure if I can follow Deirdre's amazing wealth of information. My name is Kristen Lovelady Dixon. I'm a resident of Kirkland. I wanted to voice my opposition for the transfer station uh, in, the, in the current Houghton location. Uh, as a resident in that neighborhood, I can attest to everything everyone else has said and that there are numerous daycares, there's a school, there are churches, uh, and there are many young families in the area. As a commuter to downtown Seattle and downtown Bellevue, I can attest to the already atrocious traffic conditions to and from during working hours. I cannot imagine what the traffic will be like with the impact of this station. Also as a working parent, I rely on my children walking to and from school because bus service simply is not available to me. This would also impact the safety of my children as well as many other children on their way to school. So I agree with everything everyone else has said and I just want to register officially uh, that I am requesting your help and your counsel in maintaining the quality of life, of noise, of air, and of tranquility of Kirkland uh, by placing the transfer station elsewhere. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. Next, Next. up, we have a Jen Zentz. We may have lost them, though I don't see them on the list. So hold that um, and go on to an Oslem. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, could you give us your last name, please? Sure, it's Tekin, T-E-K-I-N. Thank you. Um, so, uh, so I also live close to the current location and we have young kids and, um, you know, I really don't feel safe. Um, I can give you an example. I walked by the transfer station with my son in the stroller one time. I mean, the truck didn't stop, like, you know, um, so I mean, it's really not safe 
for our families here. And uh, we use the Taylor uh, Park, ta uh, the Taylor Field, you know, our, um, so there's really not much recreation in our area, especially for small kids. Um, so I'm really opposed to, to the current location and also expansion of the location. And there are accidents happening on 16th and 116th corner. Um, and we witness it all the time. And there's a lot of traffic on 116th at uh, rush hour, um, which makes it really unsafe for our neighbor neighborhood. So um, that's what I wanted to share with you guys. Thank you, Aslan. Next up is a Jeanette. Can you guys hear me now? Yes, can we use your last name, please, Jeanette? Yes, it's Simichek. S is in Sam, I, M is in Mary, E, C, E, K. Okay. Um, I agree with all the Houghton Transfer Station comments previously. I've been a lifelong resident here in the neighborhood and I live very close. What I wanted to remind the Houghton Community Council of is in 2005, the South Rose Hill Bridal Trails Neighborhood Association worked for months, actually years, with Jessica Greenway and uh, Mayor Larry Springer in creating a document that was supposed to be binding. It's called an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding. King County Solid Waste signed it. The city of Kirkland signed that document. And it was the promise that by 2014, the transfer station would be closed as they were working back as far as the year 2000 to relocate the Houghton transfer station as it has long been outdated and is running way over capacity. So what I wanted to remind the council is I would like you to look up that document and get it from the city of Kirkland and remind both parties since most of the people either in Houghton community or the city of Kirkland or the city council were not around in 2005 for such document and it was supposed to be binding. I'm kind of thinking now that it was just to placate us to make us be quiet for a few years. So now it's 16 years later when we thought this was going to be a deal it appears that it, that is not a binding document so if you guys could look that up and renote that both sides agreed that was the agreement that that's how the city of Kirkland stood that that was to be removed from this neighborhood as promised since the 70s and if you could check on that for me I would appreciate it thank you thank you Jeanette yeah Betsy is up next Of the uh, closed landfill property. We've been here. We, we, can you, we're not able to hear you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've been told there's a problem with my mic. I support what everybody has said. Uh, can I get your full name, please? Betsy Lewis. L okay. Thank you, Betsy. Um, and then. Okay. Who's next, Jeremy? Um, 
Next, I, I, I wanted to check back in on Jen, G-E-N-N. -N. I think they may have logged back in. Hearing none. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Okay. okay good. Yeah, we Hi. hear you. Jen, can we get your last name, please? Um, Zentz, Z-E-N-T-Z. -E okay. I live on the corner of 116th and 60th. And um, I have four things, I'd, or five things I'd like to point out, if you wouldn't mind. Um, yeah. I, well, first thing I'm going to say is I'm in support of everything that's been said. I really, really am concerned about what's happening with the transfer station. I have three kids between five and eight years old. They do walk to school up the hill on 60th, and I am scared every time. Um, right now, uh, this my first point is, honestly, I'm sitting here, I can hear the trucks go by as we're talking. Um, they are working right now until around 8.30 at night. That's not going to change when they put in a recycling unit, I'm sure. So we've got, this is my second point, is that they're increasing their traffic. They swing wide around the corner so that people that are coming on trap or on coming toward them in traffic have to reverse on the southbound 116th for them to get around the corner to come out. It's really, really upsetting because we've got, we've got these accidents that are happening because of this transfer station. It's not because it's a stop sign. It's not because it's poorly marked. It is because of the transfer station that the trucks are coming around the corner too wide. My third thing is I'm actually concerned that they're going to use both sites, one as a staging area and one as the actual land use, right? So they've got, they own both properties. And so what would stop them from using the um, 70th Park and Ride for a staging area for the trucks as well? And that concerns me a good deal. What, um, what Oslam was talking about with no playgrounds and, and sidewalks, right now Taylor Fields is where our kids can go and play. They are not primary users of the state park because that is for horses. And my children are small and it is dangerous for them to be around too many horses, you know, that, that they don't understand um, about getting, you know, sliding down a hill by accident when the horses are walking by. I am concerned that they are going to lose their play space and we don't have a play, a play zone for them. Um, I'm also going to say my fifth point is that it is, um, I'm also concerned about the fact that in the last meeting that we were, that we watched, somebody asked about methane and building on methane. And what, what was said is it is, it has been prohibited for Kirkland to use that land and to build on anything that has methane underneath it. But for some reason, it's okay for the county to do it. And she said, well, we know how to do it, but this, the, county, the, the county knows how to do it, but the, the city does not. And I find that um, really frightening um, and totally, I mean, it's, it's non-democratic, right? I mean, that is, a, that is a completely non-democratic situation that we're dealing with. And if what's being said about Proctor Willows and the Redmond site are true, then this absolutely is not a democratic um, situation. And I'm, I'm very, very frustrated by it. And so when you are looking at how you are going to deal with this and how you are looking for people to help you deal with it, we are, I'm ready to join the battle. I'm ready to join the battle. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. And I totally trust you to work for our best interests. Thank, thank you, you, Jen. <laughs> okay, next. <laughs>
Uh, I only see one more hand. I think it's Kate again. I'm not sure if she had another comment or if she had not lowered her hand. Hi, um, uh, I actually haven't spoken yet. Oh, no. Okay. Last name, please, Kate. Henriksen. Okay, thank you. Um, so I would like to uh, voice the same thing as many others that I am seriously concerned about the current location for the transfer station. I find it bewildering that that location is being taken seriously by the county given the many well-known problems that everyone here has voiced. Um, there is a residence along 60th, there is a residence immediately to one side and a daycare immediately to the other side. The elementary school is very close. Um, the county, uh, their, their, their vehicles are produce a lot of noise and a lot of litter. They're not very well covered and litter um, comes out fairly routinely from, uh, from the vehicles. Um, I also had a somewhat uh, technical objection to the proposals that were presented which is that the cost of the current transfer station and of the park and ride were listed as zero. Um, but I believe this doesn't take adequately account of the very well-known phenomenon of opportunity cost, which is used all the time in business and elsewhere to, to truly understand the costs of a decision. Um, specifically that if the transfer station is kept in the current location, that land can't be put to any other use because it would be the transfer station. And so, saying zero dollars is, I don't think really um, is correct. I don't think it's accurate. I think it's misleading. Um, the, uh, for instance, just hypothetically, um, this is a very desirable residential area and some portions of that land could be sold as residential land. And that would actually be worth a lot of money that would not be had if it remains a transfer station. So I, I don't believe those calculations uh, as they stand are uh, present a correct picture. Thank you, Kate. Next is uh, Usakli Sinan. Hi, I, I'm not sure what the name was that was announced, if you can hear me. Uh, um, could you give uh, us your name, please? My name is Deepa Garg. I live uh, pretty close to Oslem and Marie across the street um, from the transfer station. Okay. Um, I just wanted to make sure, you know, everything that's been said is completely valid, completely true. Um, a lot of the things I think within the jurisdiction cover, uh, you know, 108th and that area on the other side of 405. I just wanted to make sure that the council um, takes the chance, you know, before any decisions are made to drive through our area. Um, if you ever get a, a chance to do that, just to, um, you know, this is an area of Kirkland that is sometimes sort of considered really far south. And when we've asked for crosswalks and sidewalks and flashing zone lights, because we have a lot of trucks that come off of 405, we have a lot of vehicles that come off four or five that are still sort of in the highway zone. So they, um, they don't slow down. Um, we actually have to cross our street. We actually have to cross 116th Avenue to check our mail. So I'm not sure if anybody's aware of that. Um, when they think of Kirkland, it's not, 
the same as other areas that do get the priority for those safety amenities. So I just wanted to point that out and ask the council members to make sure they take that into account. Thank you, Deepa. Good point. And now... I think we skipped um, Usai, please, Sinan. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the interface is giving me trouble. Usakli, uh, is that your full name, Usakli Sinan? Uh, Usakli is my last name, so switch the name and last name. Got it, Sinan Usakli. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to voice my opinion the same, uh, agreeing with everyone else here uh, that the transfer station is even currently uh, creating a risk around the community. Uh, and uh, there's no sidewalk in front of it. Uh, going around that area is always risky because of the number of trucks going in and out. Um, this, there's proximity to school and uh, if that uh, Taylor Fields area is transformed into something bigger uh, for transfer stations purposes, uh, that's going to just increase the risk to everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Sinan. Is there anyone else, Jeremy? Sherry? Hi, I, I spoke earlier. I just wanted to give you my last name because I realized I didn't have my last name on, on my um, label. So uh, my name's Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y. My last name is Torpy, T as in Tom, O-R-P as in Peter, Y. Thank you, Thank Sherry. You. Thank you. Appreciate that. Do we, do we have uh, any idea of the last names of Tolga, Demonstrom, and Stacy? I know that Stacy is Duffy, D-U-F-F-Y. Okay. And so Damon's last name is Strom, I believe, S-T-R-O-M. Ah, excellent. Okay. So we're down right. to Tolga. Tekken. Spelling? T-E-K-I-N. Thank you very much. Okay. Is there uh, anyone else? One more person. Uh... Christine. Christine, are you there? I think I lost her. Okay. But maybe she Oh, can you can you hear me? Oh, there she is. Okay. Yes. Hi, I just I just wanted to just put my two cents in that I I, I do agree with everything that's been said. I know um, a lot of things have been been said, but um, but just for the safety of my kids and the other kids that are around, it's just um, not the best for um, and just because it's just because it's easy because there's already a, a, a transfer station there doesn't mean that it's the right decision that we can um, we have other options and other better options. So that's just what I wanted to say. Thanks, Christine. Thanks. Is that ended, Jeremy? Uh, no, uh, Karen, um, Karen Hanif. Karen, could you speak, please? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Please, please speak, Karen. We do not hear you now. Do we have him connected, Jeremy? 
Um, he's still showing up and he doesn't show as muted. Karim, we need to, we need to hear from you right away or we'll have to move on. All right. Okay. And Karim was the last speaker who had their hand raised. Okay. Jeremy, thank you so much for facilitating that. A lot better than if I was doing it. So um, the, a lot of good questions and uh, we will hopefully get answers to the questions uh, when we get our presentation on that uh, after we finish our uh, next item on the agenda, Rick, which is the miscellaneous. Rick, excuse me for interrupting. Jeremy, I do see a, a Glenn and a Mike's hand raised. Yeah, I think Jen has raised uh, her hand again. Well, we're not going to take multiple. Uh, uh, the, our normal procedure in, in any of our meetings is people have one opportunity to speak uh, within a limited amount of time, and we don't take additional. We don't let people come up more than once. So, if somebody hasn't spoken that has their hand up, that's it. It may be Mike. The it is Jen and Mike. So just not sure who's raising their hand there. Can you hear me? If this is Jen Hello? Dance, Jen, we, we only will have one opportunity for each person to speak. This is not for me. Just a second. Okay, go ahead. Um, hi, my name is Rose Powell. I'm, I'm Jen Dance's daughter, and I play baseball up um, in Taylor Fields with my friends. And I'm really worried that you're going to take it away from me. I can understand why you would feel that way. Thank you for telling us that. All right. Anybody else, Jeremy? We have the name for the record. No. That is everybody. Okay. I, that was Rose Boyle. She's seven years old. Thank you, Jen. Okay. All right. Um, with that, we have uh, miscellaneous cold amendments next on the agenda. We um, have uh, probably a brief discussion on this, and uh, I'll leave it to Jeremy to present it. Or actually, Nick is doing this, isn't it? Is Nick with us? Uh, Nick was having some technical issues, so let's see if he is back. I'm here. Nick is back. Hey. And hopefully you're seeing my presentation. Yes. Excellent. Good evening, council members. Uh, always good to be with you. Um, I am here to hearken uh, uh, you back to your December 10th public hearing with Planning Commission on the Miscellaneous Code Amendments. Um, to report on city council's proceedings and action, um, and then uh, have you all um, act uh, on the adopted ordinance. I just have two or three slides here um, to run through as a quick refresher for you all. Um, and if I can get it to advance, there we go. Uh, so just as a quick, quick reminder what this project was, miscellaneous code amendments are an annual effort, um, generally an annual effort that staff goes through to 
um, make minor code amendments um, that um, are mostly uh, administrative, uh, non-policy items that help us um, clarify existing code, um, streamline procedures, um, update uh, anything that has come out of, um, uh, has become inconsistent with local, state, or federal codes. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, kind of do a, a code cleanup. Um, so we had 35 amendments, a pretty big package for this year. You might remember working through all of them at public hearing. Um, they have since gone to two city council meetings, one as a briefing and discussion in January, and then um, you, uh, back to city council where they adopted um, the ordinance and closed in your packet, um, adopting the amendments um, as staff had drafted. Um, you may recall that the recommendation out of um, Houghton Community Council was for adoption as the amendments were prepared and presented at the public hearing by staff. No changes were made by council, so they were um, adopted as, as drafted as well. Um, so very simply tonight is the question for you for your final action. Um, three options to approve the uh, enclosed resolution adopting um, the, or I'm sorry, approving the adopted ordinance um, by city council. You have the option to disapprove the amendments um, or simply fail to disapprove uh, within the allotted time frame, which has the effect of uh, adopting. That's all I have for you. Discuss you. And, and act is on you now. Thank you. We appreciate brief and concise uh, presentations. <laughs> you bet. Uh, so, do we have any questions from uh, our council members for Nick? Any, John? Yeah, I just I just have one comment. I appreciate very much uh, everyone putting this together. Uh, as a practicing architect, I have had the opportunity to work with this code over the past several months, and. Um, as a, there's a, I still think a few cleanup items that I would like to work with staff offline. I just wanted to make for the record and let our council know that I'll be sending staff a little packet of a few word cleanups that I think um, would be very helpful to put on a work item for, you know, the next time we do code cleanup. So I'm just alerting our council. That's great, John. Thank you. Uh, with regard to uh, the approval of this resolution, does anyone have any questions or concerns to discuss? If not, I would uh, welcome a motion to approve resolution 2021-2 approving uh, O 4749 is adopted by the city council. I think it's also 4750, isn't it? As I remember. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, uh, could I get a motion to that effect? So moved. All right, it's been moved by Bill Goggins. Could we get a second? Second. All right, that sounded like Brian uh, seconded. Any further discussion? Discussion, discussion, all in favor say aye. 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 Anyone opposed? Excellent, motion carries. Thank you very much. So uh, Nick, thanks for your assistance in this process. Thank you. So uh, with that, we move into um, the briefing on the Northeast Recycling and Transfer Station project. Thank you. This is uh, Jeremy McMahon. 
with the City of Kirkland Planning and Building Department. Um, I'll quickly turn it over to our presenters tonight, but some introductions first. Um, John McGilvray is the city's um, solid waste um, coordinator and supervisor. So he's here to answer any questions about um, the facility or the history of the facility that you may have. And then we have two speakers from King County who are joining us, uh, Margaret Bay and Pat McLaughlin, who will be here to, to lead the presentation. And then once they're complete, I can take any questions about the land use and permitting side of things. Okay. So is it now for time for John? Um, I believe uh, King County Solid Waste Division and uh, Director Pat McLaughlin will be, be making the presentation tonight. Okay. So I'm just here for questions, sir. Okay. Thank you, John. Well, good evening. And uh, thank you, uh, Council, for the opportunity to uh, present to you and your community members. My name is Pat McLaughlin, and it's my honor to serve as King County's Director of Solid Waste. And I am accompanied by Margaret Bay, who is our project manager for this uh, project, which we refer to as the Northeast Recycling and Transfer Station. And I'm gonna share my screen with you and talk through a presentation, but I, I would like to just do a time check to respect, uh, you, you've had a very full agenda and I have no time limitations, but I, I suspect uh, you and the community uh, do. So can you give me a, a sense of uh, how much time we have for this uh, discussion? Um, Pat, I, I, I think that we, uh, our agenda, I think provided for a, a 60 minutes total for this segment of our agenda. That certainly would not mean that you have 60 minutes to present, but uh, oh, if you could. Yeah, of course. And, 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 and I will also just let you know that our members are generally really diligent about uh, reading the materials that we receive prior to our meeting. So rather than going to great detail on information that's already been presented in the packet, if you could just give us an overview and then make you, maybe focus more on questions that are generated from that process. Very good, very good. I and I don't know that you've received this uh, particular presentation, but uh, we'll uh, we'll certainly try to uh, follow that advice. Thank you. So uh, hopefully you see uh, my uh, presentation cover page. It's a picture of a familiar facility that yeah. uh, serves this uh, important and growing community. And uh, I just want to kind of talk through uh, why we are uh, pursuing a, a new station uh, talk a lot about the how, uh, in particular the public uh, outreach and engagement uh, process and, and how that will influence uh, the, the decisions, not just of where it goes, uh, but also uh, ultimately the types of services and amenities that uh, it will bring to the community. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the timeline and of course we'll, we'll provide a, a high level overview of the different sites and then really uh, uh, be available uh, to address any, any questions uh, either on those specific elements or anything else that uh, the council and your community members would like to, to speak about. But uh, let, me, let me start with the why. Uh, you know, why are we even uh, considering a new station? Of course, the, the Houghton station uh, is one of the oldest uh, standing stations we have is built in the mid 60s and it is outdated. It's, it's lived, uh, outlived its useful life. Uh, even though we have 
commenced various improvements over the years uh, to uh, extend its usability. Uh, the reality is we can only offer a limited amount of recycling. Your community uh, loves to recycle and we value that uh, and it's helped the region as a whole. But the reality is there's really only a limited offering that's available and we could do so much better. Um, you know, we heard a lot about uh, concerns of traffic uh, in your community and uh, traffic specifically associated with the transfer station. That's something that we're also concerned with. And one of the most in, uh, important features that we get with a modern station is the ability to compact the waste. Unlike the present facility where the waste uh, is top loaded and rather fluffy, if you will, in a modern station, we're able to compact that waste. What that does is provide for a much more efficient transport of the waste to the landfill. It reduces the truck traffic by about one third. It also, uh, the challenge with the current facility is inadequate queuing space. Uh, this becomes a more problematic during uh, you know, storm seasons or, or warm seasons. Uh, and uh, again, just having uh, adequate space in the event of those natural disasters is, is quite, uh, quite challenging in this uh, location. So we know that a new site is needed. Uh, we believe that it can bring uh, expanded services, improved uh, recycling options. Some of the images you see uh, here on, on your screen, uh, on the left is a, a picture actually of the, uh, uh, our newest project, Factoria, uh, recycling and transfer station built in the uh, city of Bellevue. Uh, it's a completely enclosed facility. Uh, that's one of the most important features because it allows us to even better control the impacts associated with providing this essential public service. It's easier and we're more effective in controlling noise, dust and odors in an enclosed facility like this, uh, equipping it with advanced environmental controls, but also with expanded services for uh, recycling and, and waste management. But to do a project like this, it obviously uh, requires uh, a very intentional uh, and effective public engagement process. By doing so, it ensures we'll get it done right. And uh, just the uh, participation this evening, uh, the awareness of your residents, the, the level of engagement uh, is, is fantastic. It says so much about your community and it's what we're looking for. So um, one of your community members uh, was, was kind uh, and concerned for your council to not feel bombarded. <clears throat> and, and, and really, we're seeking input from the public. It helps us to understand the issues as they see them, uh, and it helps to shape our process of decisions. So uh, we're grateful to have this opportunity tonight. We've been doing a lot of public outreach uh, uh, for uh, almost a year. Uh, we started last summer. Um, doing stakeholder interviews, uh, multiple press releases, just to get the awareness uh, out there about this project. Uh, over 114,000 mailers were sent to residents uh, in the area uh, on a couple of occasions. We have uh, online surveys catering to multiple languages, and those will continue uh, going forward throughout this, 
this uh, project process. Uh, social media is another venue that's, that's proven successful. And then just uh, leveraging the communication forums that our city partners have as well. So we're really trying to approach this uh, from many, many angles so that uh, uh, regardless of how people uh, like to engage or, or become aware that we can get into that channel and uh, get our message to them and more importantly, hear back from them uh, on the uh, uh, plans and, and assessments that will we'll go forward. One of the most direct ways the community is helping to inform this siting process is a siting advisory group that's been assembled. We have 28 members from uh, the community that represents uh, the community of uh, city personnel, local businesses, special interest groups, and members at large. Uh, so we have, uh, in fact, Kirkland themselves have five residents uh, on this advisory uh, group, in addition to two city staff. And, and we were able to assemble this group uh, using the benefit of that stakeholder engagement, right? So we received input uh, from uh, city staff of who might be interested. Uh, the advertisements that we put out in the various languages through social media, talking to local employers, obviously using the website. We were really able to build a very, very impressive siting advisory group. And they are also very engaged. And I, I can say that uh, your city uh, is well represented in this, uh, in this context. The work that they're carrying out um, is kind of, we're, we're kind of like midstream in the process of this, of this project. Uh, we've already gone through uh, an initial screening of over 100 sites. We applied some broad area screening to narrow that. As you know, we, we're down to four uh, sites that are being evaluated right now. And they're being evaluated in a number of ways, including what the siting advisory group is doing, which is uh, developing and applying their community screening criteria. So important, so important that uh, the location of this facility is really reflecting uh, input from the community. So the community criteria that's being developed by the siting advisory committee will be applied uh, independently by that siting advisory committee. And actually next month, we're expecting to receive from them their own uh, recommendations relative to these four sites. And what that will do is help to inform the county's decision as to which sites will proceed into the environmental review process. It's called an EIS, Environmental Impact Statement. Uh, and we'll take up to three sites I would say it will be two or three sites that will go into this next phase. That's a deep phase of uh, looking at the environmental impacts associated with the various uh, uh, sites, uh, ultimately to inform a, uh, a decision and then siting and construction by 2027. So there's a, a lot to go through. And as I mentioned, the input to inform that siting is, is happening in, in a variety and will continue to happen in a variety of ways, uh, much like I've, I've mentioned, the siting advisory groups, we, you know, the community briefings, and we're happy to uh, continue to engage with this council 
local uh, homeowners associations or other community groups as the interest may as may be. Uh, and we will really take to heart the, the comments that we get, whether it's on our website or in surveys, uh, the community criteria that the Society Advisory Committee group ultimately develops, uh, and the insights of our siting consultants that uh, are helping us through this process. Um, let me share with you the uh, kind of quick overview of the four sites that we've looked at uh, at this point. <clears throat> and then I'll, I'll wrap up with really some uh, opportunities for continued engagement and happy to then take some questions. The initial siting criteria um, to identify these, uh, what we now have as four sites, started with just size of parcel. Um, we typically are looking for larger parcels. We have traditionally built on, you know, 15 to 20 acres. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that we really wanted to consider uh, after seeing a successful project by the city of Seattle was the possibility of developing a, a center on a smaller parcel, ideally eight to 12, uh, eight to 20 acres. As you know, one of the sites that we're looking at is actually even less than eight. It's a little over five acres. Um, we think that it's possible to do that. Now, you, it's, I think it's important to know that we don't have designs for any uh, specific facility at this stage or for any specific site. Uh, that, that design process comes much later. Uh, right now, we're looking for just general parcel availability. But we were able to see what Seattle was able to do on a very small footprint. So it was one that we were certainly interested in. But we're trying to stay within the, of course, the urban growth uh, area, uh, parcels that are not zoned <clears throat> for residential or commercial use, uh, staying clear of historic sites, farmland, uh, and uh, also still having good access uh, from a logistics standpoint of being able to get in and get out uh, within uh, one mile of a uh, arterial highway or state route. We identified four sites. Um, I will tell you <clears throat> that there is, uh, there is no ideal site <laughs> when you're looking for a facility like this. Um, one thing that we found is that parcels in general are difficult to come by. Uh, as, as you have noted, uh, and some of the comments have noted, uh, three of the four sites already have some ongoing use and the fourth site has uh, active plans for use. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, there isn't uh, parcels out there who are just begging uh, to, uh, to host such a facility. Uh, the one facility uh, that we noted up in the city of uh, Woodenville uh, is an example of an existing uh, enterprise and they uh, occupy uh, actually one of the two parcels that you see on this, uh, on this map, a uh, you know, little over 13 acres. It's in an industrial area. So the zoning is certainly uh, compatible uh, with, with the usage, but there are some critical areas that would have to be managed. Um, logistically, uh, it has good access. It is in the Northern uh, part, probably the Northern edge of of being an effective location, but we think uh, at this stage, in terms of being in the final four, uh, a feasible option from a location standpoint. And maybe I'll just take another moment here to talk about 
the fact that uh, there is an existing business, a thriving business uh, on that location. Uh, and that is ultimately for any of these locations, um, that is an aspect that ultimately does have to be taken into consideration and will uh, through the uh, siting process as we go through it. But at this stage, um, you know, beyond looking at fundamental practicalities, uh, we're really looking at, at parcels and location, uh, you know, most likely develop ability uh, of those uh, or any uh, major uh, issues. And in, in, in many cases, <clears throat> When you're not dealing with handfuls of ideal properties, right? You're trying to find um, the least challenging. They're all challenging. They all have some some uh, difficult aspects to them. But which which have the least, right? Um, the second property uh, was in Redmond. This is an example of a currently vacant uh, uh, parcel. However, uh, as uh, as one of your community members noted, uh, there are active development plans uh, to bring uh, housing into this area. And uh, there are also, so it's, it's a nicely sized parcel of over 15 acres. Um, there are some critical areas that would need to be managed, uh, some steep slopes and, and uh, uh, possible even seismic hazards that we'd have to account for. That's not unusual, by the way. Um, again, any site that uh, we've ever developed uh, has some sort of challenge and uh, that's managed then through the, through the design process. The uh, third location is uh, the park and ride. This is, as I say, just slightly over five acres. Um, and uh, uh, you know, obviously very, very close to the existing facility. Um, it's an interesting location because of uh, both its logistics access right off of the, uh, the uh, freeway, but, but also um, brings its challenge in, in the sense, not, not necessarily from uh, uh, an environmental seismic uh, perspective, but just from a sheer size. Uh, this would take a very different approach in terms of how we would construct um, and uh, um, take some careful considerations in, in that regard. And of course, the final site uh, is uh, at the uh, current location. And um, the, uh, obviously the, the, the site's much, much larger, uh, includes um, developable areas potentially um, that uh, expand beyond just the existing footprint, but not necessarily. Again, we don't have a design already in mind. So uh, this is really represents the, uh, the range of, of possibilities. And uh, the, you know, the, I guess the, the challenges associated uh, with this site are uh, some of the very concerns that uh, the neighbors themselves have, have raised this evening. So we are early on in this process. It's great that the community is already uh, getting engaged, we were happy to uh, have great representation uh, on the siting advisory group, but even uh, uh, happier to know, you know, we, we were at a uh, uh, Rose Hills Bridal Trails uh, Homeowners Association uh, the other week, very engaged. Obviously, this, this community here uh, represented this evening continues to be very engaged. And we want that 
uh, to continue. We have siting advisory committees uh, that will continue to meet uh, through the third quarter. Uh, the next meeting is on March 17th, and uh, this includes, this is a public meeting as well. Um, and uh, we do accept public comment there. And, and we're listening uh, to these comments and we will be responsive as we go through that process. The environmental review process will start um, as uh, soon as the siting advisory group finishes their work and we're able to then identify uh, that uh, two, those two or three sites, we'll begin that process. Uh, and it's about a year long process to go through a very extensive uh, determination of what will be studied, how it will be approached. Uh, we, we carry out multiple uh, community engagement, public comment periods uh, in that process. Uh, and again, we'll provide uh, community briefings as well, uh, so that there's an opportunity for, for you to stay engaged and informed. I just wanna remind <clears throat> the council and, and your community members, uh, some of the uh, easy resources. One is just the website itself, kingcounty.gov uh, kingcounty forward slash Northeast. And um, you know, there you can get information, uh, project updates, and you can also sign up if you'd like to uh, receive direct communications. Uh, we'll push those out to you as well. And you can just keep track of the Society Advisory Group and review their meeting minutes, et cetera. At any time, you can email the project team directly as well, uh, northeast at kingcounty.gov. So I know we covered a, a lot of materials, uh, addressed some of the comments, but not all of them. And so I'd be happy to revisit uh, any of the uh, information I just shared with you, answer any questions you might have. Again, we, we appreciate the opportunity to be here this evening. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, before I, I engage our other council members uh, with their questions, I would like to represent the members of the public's questions and just go down the list of the specific questions that were posed to get your response to those. One, uh, the first person speaking asked, what is the turnaround time for when somebody requests public information with this project? Yeah, the, the answer is, and, and I, this is not a satisfying answer. The answer is it depends, right? Um, our, our, our responsibility is to make sure that we uh, produce responsive records. Um, and so depending on the nature of the request and how easy it is to gather those records, sometimes they're readily available and those record requests can be fulfilled very quickly. And other times are more complicated uh, to pull those records together. And so um, I, I happen to know in, in, in this case, uh, that community, in fact, I spoke directly to that community member uh, sh uh, shortly after uh, he made those requests. We, uh, and I know that he's received confirmation uh, that that request is uh, in the works. I, I did not come prepared this evening to provide a specific update knowing uh, whether those records have been uh, provided or not, but I do know that uh, they are being pulled together uh, to the extent they exist. It, 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 I, I would expect that uh, it's, it's probably difficult to give any uh, commitment, but can you uh, give somebody, and, and when they make a request, can you say, well, it'll be no longer than X, you know, you can expect it by no later than this date? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to do that because, um, you know, there's a queue uh, of, of 
public records requests that we're always uh, managing. And so sometimes, you know, your public record request might not be that difficult, but the one before you is. And, and so what we try and do, and, and certainly uh, we'll, we'll uh, try and do in this case as well, uh, because I do have members of my uh, public records team, uh, and communications team are, are listening in, in this meeting now. So they're certainly hearing this dialogue. Uh, we'll, we will make sure, as, as they typically do, to give periodic updates if, if it isn't something that's getting resolved very quickly, uh, to give periodic updates and uh, confirmation that it is being worked. And those updates would be on a, what, a weekly basis or what, what's the normal protocol? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, but, you know, we can, we can get you some information on, on that, uh, uh, but I, I don't actually know the, uh, uh, the direct, or I'll tell you what, if, if uh, uh, one of my team members might uh, give, message me with some more information, and I, I'll provide that. Okay, so we, that would be helpful because, yeah, I appreciate it, Pat. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just, I'm trying to be responsive to the public request. Absolutely. And I, I think it's a reasonable request, you know, what, and so if you could do that, that would be very, very Absolutely. much appreciated. Yeah. Um, then that same person also uh, expressed concern that in the presentation, the photos of the existing location do not identify the park, the elementary school and the daycare adjacent to the facility. And that well, was misleading in his opinion, it seemed to me. Well, the, the, um, the presentation was meant to outline the parcels that were identified for potential development. They weren't, the, the images weren't meant to provide a pictorial uh, or a full illustration of what's surrounding them. So it, you know, we, were, we weren't intending to uh, promote anything but what is the, the parcel identified for development. Ultimately, um, as we go through uh, the environmental impact statement, we do look at the surrounding uh, uses and, and, and the sort. So that is something that is taken into consideration. But the illustrations that we showed, certainly in my presentation this evening, uh, and I think it was similar to ones in the past, was just to illustrate the parcels identified for potential development. Very well. That's, that's a fair response. Uh, the a next question that was asked was, uh, someone stated that your criteria, uh, or uh, that, that, that a station cannot be built within a thousand feet of a park or school, and yet um, the existing site obviously is within a thousand feet of a park. Or it school. is, yeah. So in 2006, the uh, county council adopted a transfer station uh, siting plan. And that is where that uh, reference comes from mm -hmm. in regards to its, uh, one of the siting criteria established back in 2006 was that very uh, element and others. In 2019, uh, the County Council uh, and uh, 37 cities adopted an updated comprehensive solid waste management plan, which uh, replaced both the 2001 comp plan and the 2006 uh, uh, transfer plan, integrating it into a single plan. Uh, and uh, in fact, within that plan, chapter five, I believe it's chapter five, uh, it focuses on transportation uh, 
systems and, and uh, criteria and the sort. And so under the uh, 2019 adopted plan, that, that is not actually a criteria that uh, guides this process. All right, thank you. Uh, next question, specific question. Um, Marie Carlson asks, and this may or may not be something you can address, but I'll, if, I'll give you a chance. Uh, she asked, what authority does the Houghton Community Council have in this process? And I, I believe she's referring both to site selection as well as in the event that a site, uh, that a site within our jurisdiction is selected, then what authority would we have in, in the development criteria, mitigation of the public concerns, amenities, et cetera? You know, I, I would prefer to defer back to your body to describe what your authorities and role are. Uh, I, I think you could do it uh, more accurately and eloquently than, than I could. And I, I, I think they would benefit from that rather than me trying to explain it. Um, we'll, we'll defer on that. I, Jeremy probably has some comments for that. I saw him pop into the screen. So we'll, yeah. we'll uh, do you want to address it now, Jeremy, or wait until? Sure, I can take it right now and then any follow up questions you have later. But um, I think one of the reasons we're here tonight is the community council has disapproval jurisdiction over certain land use actions in city of Kirkland. And so this um, type of facility in Kirkland requires what's called a process to be permit. And that is a public hearing process where the hearing examiner holds the public hearing makes a recommendation to city council and city council has typically has final authority for Kirkland on such permits. In this case, because it's within the disapproval jurisdiction of the community council, that public hearing would typically be a joint hearing with the community council and the hearing examiner. And then after the city council decision, the Houghton community council has um, the option to exercise disapproval jurisdiction over the land use permit. So that's essentially the process um, in the zoning code that a solid waste facility or a um, transfer station would go through. All right. Uh, and that and, and, that happens, I'm sorry, that happens obviously late in the process compared to we are right now. Um, right now a site selection, it will be, um, if, it, if one of the sites selected is within Houghton, then that land use application will be made. Correct. I read somewhere where there's some issue with uh, the state law imposes limits on local government authority to preclude siting of essential public facilities. It's at the end of page two. Yeah, yeah. yeah there is. Um, the Growth Management Act has a provision. It's the Revised Code of Washington 36.70A.200 um, about essential public facilities. And so when the Growth Management Act was adopted, <clears throat> the act recognized that there's some facilities that are just really hard to site, uh, especially in urban areas. So things like jails, courthouses, solid waste facilities, um, transfer facilities, um, transit facilities can be really difficult to site. And so to keep those at a more regional level, it does preclude local government from prohibiting siting of those facilities in their jurisdiction. So Kirkland or no other um, uh, jurisdiction of Washington would have a regulation that says, no, you cannot have a solid waste or a um, transfer station facility in your jurisdiction. So we're, the answer can't necessarily be, be no, you can't do that in Kirkland. Um, from there, like if there are conditions of approval or something, 
Um, ultimately, it's a are those reasonable conditions placed on the siting of such a facility, um, which I don't think we're in a position to figure yeah. out where we are in that process right now. Right, but there, there so there is, uh, we do have jurisdiction and authority uh, over the process and the uh, what conditions would be acceptable if the site was uh, it, it selected and, and then went into the uh, a permit process, to be process, to be permit process. Correct. Got it, okay. Um, thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, there was, let's see, th this comment about, um, Deidre Johnson made a comment about the Proctor Williams site in Redmond breaking ground next month on a townhouse project and that um, there's a prohibition on um, using a residential site for this um, transfer station. So if they break ground, does that eliminate that site from consideration? No, and, and we would not uh, expect uh, any, any project or planned use to pause while we go through this process. As we laid out, we've got a few years of going through to do an extensive environmental impact uh, assessment of the sort. So, uh, you know, the, the city and, and the uh, developers would not be restricted from continuing to move forward uh, in that project. It would be their, it would be their uh, option to do that. No, that I understand that. The, the question that I think Deidre is posing is once that becomes an active residential site, they're, they're in the, they, they have begun construction. And so it's, it's literally being used as, as for residential purposes. Does that at that point preclude it from being a, a viable candidate as a site for the transfer station? Well, I, I understand the, the, that aspect of the question. I think it's, it's the reality of the challenge we have with uh, many of the sites. There, uh, you know, one site has an existing uh, distribution business uh, flourishing, doing quite well. This site that you mentioned is, is, is planned for development in, in the near future. <clears throat> the park and ride site um, uh, is, is active and in use. So they, you know, three of these sites uh, uh, are uh, owned by other people and being uh, used or planned to be used. Um, and uh, it, it makes it, it, you know, it makes those aspects challenging, but not, um, it doesn't disqualify them from, from such uh, consideration. There is not a prohibition on a residential site being used? Uh, there, in its current state, there's no prohibition of its uh, consideration, no. Once, once there are residences constructed on the site, that wouldn't then make it disqualified? Um, not, I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure that it would. But you're not sure that it wouldn't. Huh? <laughs> uh, I'm fairly certain uh, that uh, that site would not uh, be disqualified even if the uh, project were completed. Okay. Um, 
The comment about the binding document by Jeanette Samakchi uh, talked about this binding document to remove the transfer station from this site. Uh, can you comment on that? Um, I've not seen that document. However, uh, I imagine I'll get a chance to see that. Uh, I, I have a meeting with uh, Jeanette uh, next week. And so uh, she was kind enough to uh, invite me to, to discuss uh, this, this issue further. So I'll certainly take a look at that, um, but I, I have not seen that myself. So I can't really comment on it. All right, fair enough. Uh, Kate Hendrickson uh, uh, questioned the uh, uh, lack of assigning any value or cost to the transfer, the existing transfer station site um, even though it doesn't require an expenditure of money on the part of the county, there's that property has value that could be used for some other purpose or sold for residential purposes, whatever. And to say it's it's free doesn't fairly represent, you know, in, in comparison in comparison with the other sites. Could you comment on that? Uh, I think it's a very good point. I think that uh, uh, the financial aspect of any property, whether it has to be acquired uh, or not, uh, or if it has uh, alternative uses uh, that uh, could be uh, considered. So, uh, you know, certainly that is an aspect that will have to be factored uh, in a final decision. All right, fair. Uh, those are the specifics that I picked up on. I may have missed them. If so, I, please, I apologize to any of the members of the public that um, you know, ask, that gave us all this great input. At this point, I'm going to uh, give each of our council members an opportunity to uh, ask specific, some specific questions. And we'll just go uh, around the, the horn. Uh, Brian, are you prepared? Do you have any questions specific for Pat? Uh, yeah, um, I appreciate you. Um, Rick asking a lot of those questions because some of them were almost verbatim what my questions were. That's fine. Uh, we're just looking to get answers as much as we can. Yeah, specifically the um, I'm still not clear on on with the state jurisdiction or how the uh, let's see how is it written. Uh, Limits um, on local government authority. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm still not completely clear on that. Uh, when I read it through the first three times, it, it felt like uh, no matter what we would decide that since it's an essential public facility, state law imposes limits on local government authority, uh, precluding the siting of, of essential public facilities. So um, I guess, you clarified it more by saying that we could set the acceptable conditions. Um, it seems to me that there wouldn't, I mean, there would have to be a limit on those conditions somehow, um, since the sites are only limited to four. Um, so my question, I guess, is, and it might not be for Pat, how, how much does this really fall? Uh, how much, how much uh, decision-making do we actually have? 
Well, Brian, uh, just to, to shortcut this process, Jeremy made the comment that it, the conditions have to be reasonable. And of course, that's a subjective matter, but that's really the limitation. If, if we are trying to impose unreasonable conditions, then we're exceeding our authority. Okay. Is that fair, Jeremy? I think that's fair. What I would recommend is if um, one of the site, if a site emerges in Kirkland and it's starting to look like something that might happen, we might invite the city attorney to address the community council and respond to specific questions. Um, you know, beyond just the laws written, there's a lot of case law about this particular state preemption, um, which may be of interest to you. And I certainly wouldn't try to um, lecture on. Thank you, Jeremy. But we have people who know more about it than I do who, who we could bring in and help you through it. Excellent. Brian, any more questions? Yeah, yeah, actually. Um, uh, Pat, um, if, if for whatever reason, these four sites, uh, none of them pass the screening on the next stage or the next couple stages, would it then go back to the drawing board to look for other sites or is that not an option? Um, at this stage, we will take two or three sites into the environmental review process. And we'll study those two or three sites at a much deeper level to understand the probable environmental impacts and the uh, mitigation options associated with those. And then uh, we bring that analysis together with other analysis, such as the financial uh, equity impacts from the community and other aspects to make an ultimate siting decision. But we will, we will proceed with two or three sites into this next phase of the environmental review. Two or three of the four that you mentioned? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, another question I had, uh, and you might not have the answer to this, but the Kirkland residents that are sitting on the advisory group, do they live, um, do you have any idea where they live in Kirkland? If they're anywhere near the potential sites or if they're in a completely different part of Kirkland? Uh, we, we do know where they live, uh, and I can invite uh, one of my team members, Margaret, uh, can you speak to uh, the, the general proximity of, of those representatives? Uh, yeah, I haven't met. Yeah, just one of your microphones. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, no, you still have, you still have one too many microphones there. Sounds like you're coming from the stadium. Yeah. That's good. So I tell you what, while she's looking that up, uh, Brian, do you have other questions that you'd, you'd like me to try and address? Uh, yeah, I was curious. I, in reading the, the document, it was talking about how all of the cities that use the forwarding station pay King County um, on a per ton basis. And I was wondering if the city of Kirkland is paid at all uh, for the site being located within city limits, if there's any, any financial incentive for the city of Kirkland. So uh, the answer is there is a financial incentive associated with hosting a transfer station, 
but it doesn't come in the form of uh, a per ton uh, share, if you will, of the uh, revenues that come across the, the scales. Um, those revenues are what end up paying uh, for the development and, and operational and maintenance aspects of, of the regional system. Um, and, but the financial uh, incentive that is available to a host city comes in, in other forms. Um, one is that just by sheer logistics, if you're hosting a transfer station, the haulers that are picking up your curbside garbage have a shorter distance to run uh, and drop off that garbage. And as a result, their costs to provide your curbside services are less. And so the community as a whole uh, generally sees a, a lower cost of service from the hauler uh, uh, providers. The other benefit that uh, is afforded to a hosting community, this is particularly true in a newer facility uh, where we have more expansive recycling services is that the city doesn't need to spend money hosting special collection events for recycling materials because the transfer station does it for them already. And the county provides grant monies uh, to the city of Kirkland, for instance, which they use for a variety of, of programs and outreach and the sort. And uh, instead of having to spend that money hosting a collection event, for instance, they could use that money in other ways uh, to serve uh, the community. So there are, there are some, some financial incentives, but, but it's different than, than, as I say, a, a tipping fee. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh, thank you for that. Um, another question that I had was, oh, um, you mentioned that the new facility will accept much broader inputs, I guess, for recycling. And of course, we all like that. Um, I guess my, my question regarding that, though, is um, are these broader recycling categories actually recycled? You know, we've had a lot of news about how China's rejecting recycling and that much of it ends up in a landfill anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Uh, and is yeah. this all kind of a just a, a feel good. I'm not saying it's just a feel good exercise, sure. but I mean, if, if there's nowhere to recycle it, um, then it is an expensive exercise. That's a very good question. So 86% uh, of the recycling tonnage never went to China. 86% never went to China. Uh, so when China enforced their bans, and they did, right? it affected 14% of our recycling stream uh, as measured in tonnage. It affected what we call mixed paper and mixed plastics. Um, so we've, uh, our, our partners, our hauling and processing partners have worked hard to find other markets. Uh, and, and at first though, they, they leaned on other international markets, but now uh, specifically Republic services and waste management uh, have found domestic markets for uh, those materials. They're not, uh, they're not sending them off uh, to international markets and they've never uh, 
sent, uh, you know, we, we've never taken those materials up to Cedar Hills. So certainly nation, uh, nationwide, that, that, that was a challenge. Uh, we never took bales of, of, uh, of recycled materials into the landfill. We've, we've been fortunate. Uh, our partners have worked hard and continue to do so uh, to find markets uh, for those materials. Any other questions, Brian? No, that, that takes care of it. I, um, right. Unless Margaret has the answer to where the Kirkland residents um, Margaret, if you could unmute and share and that, the, that would be awesome. If the microphone isn't working properly, you know, maybe we could have a follow-up later. Uh, you're muted, Margaret. Margaret, you're muted. Margaret. <laughs> um, while she's figuring out how to unmute, uh, I did have... Okay, I figured it out, I think. <laughs> you're good. Can you Let's hear, hear it. Okay, uh, so I took a look at the addresses of folks in Kirkland and um, they aren't located in direct proximity, I think right in the Houghton neighborhood. So I could uh, develop a map and um, maybe share that. But I think why, one don't, of we, why don't we do that? There was let's, one let's... representative whose name eludes me at the moment who, um, or, or an applicant who was from the Houghton area but he decided to yield his seat um, or opportunity for a seat, given that we are attempting to reach out to typically underrepresented and underserved or representatives from underrepresented and underserved communities. Um, and so that person felt that he had other adequate means of giving input on the process um, and so yielded his seat. I can get that name for you as well. Well, what we'll do is uh, we will provide in a follow-up communication uh, the general locations of, of uh, those, those members. So you get a sense of <clears throat> what communities in the Northeast are being represented on this. Uh, specific, oh, sorry, specifically for Kirkland. <clears throat> so we'll, if, uh, thank you. If that's okay, we'll provide that after the meeting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, Kirkland's a big place. So uh, this is two of the four sites are very, very close to each other, as you know, and certainly none of them are even near those sites, then that's not much different, I guess, than having someone from Bellevue or Bothell or Woodenville, so. Certainly. Um, and uh, Rick, if it's okay, I, I can address your earlier question as well. Uh, you'd asked about uh, when we get public record requests, uh, yes. you know, what would be reasonable and what about uh, updates while we're waiting? Right? Yes. So the way it works is we, we must, by law, and do uh, 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 recognize and, and acknowledge receipts of such requests within five days. Um, and we'll provide updates after that uh, initial acknowledgement. If we haven't been able to satisfy it, uh, every two weeks uh, we'll provide uh, an update as to its status in uh, in the works. All right, thank you. I appreciate that, Pat. Yes, thank you. Uh, Bill Goggins, do you have specific questions for Pat? Uh, yes, I do. Um, lots of good questions from the community and uh, good answers. Uh, at least a good start. Um, my question: I'm really curious about the legal mechanism for how 
um, this all works. I mean, you've got these four potentially finalist sites and um, some have some economic um, development going on with a, a going business warehouse concern in Woodenville and uh, the potential groundbreaking for uh, 200 plus units in Willows Road. Um, how does that all work? Is this a taking scenario where because it's for the greater good, the government comes and swoops in and takes property and then reimburses the owners? So we've never had to do uh, an imminent domain uh, approach uh, in the development of, uh, of our transfer stations. Um, and we're, we're not planning on that approach now either. Uh, having said that, um, you know, none of the, I'll say three owners, the, you know, the park and ride, the uh, uh, vacant parcel or the uh, uh, ongoing business uh, in Woodenville, none of those three have raised their hand saying, pick me, pick me. I would love to sell you my property. And, you know, so um, it's a process that we, that we need to go through. Uh, we've never had to use the eminent domain. It is, you know, that, that's a tool in the toolbox, but it's not one that we're contemplating uh, at this, uh, at this, certainly at this early stage. So you've never had to use that before? Correct. Pat, would that uh, mean not necessarily that you haven't acquired existing properties, but it's not been, you haven't had to go through the eminent domain process. You've just come up with, you've come up with a mutually agreeable contract for purchase. Yeah, the, and really um, of, of recent years, uh, we, and it, it's really happening for our South County uh, project in Algona, we purchased uh, a parcel of land and are developing on it. It's, uh, it's next to the existing transfer station, but that's an example where we, uh, we didn't have to exercise eminent domain. We were able to reach an agreement with uh, the owners of that property and we purchased it and is, is now being developed. I, uh, excuse me, I, I remember one of the uh, community members making the um, statement that uh, they did not see any prior uh, uh, site that had not just been redeveloped. They, they, you, there's no instances where King County has actually abandoned an existing transfer station site and chosen a different site. Right. Uh, and I understand what that person is, is saying. And, you know, it's, um, we have, I think Algona uh, slightly breaks that mold, but in fairness, we bought that property a, a while ago. And so it was an available property that went into our EIS process. We identified uh, in the selection of, uh, of the uh, locations for Algona at the time, there were uh, multiple properties. Uh, I think they were mostly undeveloped properties, uh, but owned by other uh, you know, other parties. And, and in that case, we ended up choosing uh, the location that we owned, right? So it is a different location than the current site. It's right next to it. It is a different parcel, but we did own it. So so in is there, her statement was actually, a, a, it was effectively correct. It's, it's, it's fairly correct. Yeah, it, we yeah. have not developed a transfer station on a property 
other than what we have already owned. Right. So that okay. actually is pretty accurate. Yeah. Okay. Bill, can you, do you have other questions? Yeah, I have another question. Um, looking at the original list of 15 sites, I understand you've down selected now to four, the last four sites here. And um, have you published anywhere the, um, how the other 11 sites didn't meet your criteria? Um, there was, you know, what issues there were, what the pass fail was on each one of them? Well, that, that information uh, is available. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, if you, you say, have we published it? I don't know if we have published it, but we certainly in our communication, uh, that was a great question that came up uh, last week with the uh, association, homeowners association we met, and we certainly said that any, any of the information that we uh, uh, have gathered and formulated throughout this process and, or will formulate in the future uh, uh, will be made available to, uh, to those who, who want to see it. So uh, I don't know that it's been published per se, right? But it's available uh, and uh, it, it very well may be up on the website. I, I can't speak directly to that, I'm not sure. Yeah, is that, is that something that you can look into? Because I think, um, you know, the public and I, I think the council members here would be interested in understanding why some of these sites were eliminated and why we have the remaining four, especially the two sure. that are such concern to the residents here. Absolutely. I, I can answer that, Pat, if you like. So um, we will be, we did a very extensive process. We'll be pre having prepared by our consultants uh, three reports that would address this. One is called our broad area site screening report, which describes the process of getting down to the 15 sites, everything we looked at. We also have uh, something that will be, that'll be final soon. Um, and also final soon will be a, the site selection criteria, how we develop those criteria, what they are, and then how we develop them and what their applications were. And then in April, we'll be publishing a focused site screening report, similar to that earlier broad area site screening report, but this is narrowing the information down to those four candidates. So it lays out the entire process. And I'm happy before those reports are ready to share any information that we have, um, any documentation we have of how we looked at these different sites. Uh, we've looked at a number of different um, perspectives. Our consultants have looked at these technically. We've looked at them from a sustainability and equity perspective. We've heard from the core cities that are working with us, from Kirkland, Redmondville, Wooden, Redmond, Woodenville, and Sammamish. Uh, they've offered us their recommendations, and then the siting advisory group. So we've, we're, we're trying to take a number of different approaches um, to get to these final sites that will go on to the SEPA process, and I'm happy to share any of that that you're interested in. Okay, are you planning on publishing like an executive summary that kind of does a wrap up on each site? explaining, you know, what the pass fail was that, that knocked them out. Uh, yeah, I can, that all those criteria are listed and then it, you know, how they're applied. So we've did filtering, I guess. At first we did some pass fail criteria. So something can't be in the flood paint, for example. It can't be in a heavily seismic area. I, I, then I, we looked I size. Uh, those weren't binding criteria, but you know, they have the, Eight to 20 acres is probably going to be the most conducive to building a transfer station. Again, we can go lower to five, we can go larger to 25, but that's kind of the general range we are looking for. Um, and then we applied a number of what we call 
criteria, which is all the questions of, you know, are there environmental hazards on site? Are there, um, is it in a community that historic, has historically been underserved and we don't want to put, you know, we want to have different type of development there. Uh, so there's quite a number of things that we went through, but each in kind of layers where we um, eliminated sites from consideration. Margaret, I, I, I think the question was, will we provide an executive summary that this council and others can see uh, for each of the 15 sites, um, why the other uh, sites were not uh, selected for the final four, right? So what happened to the 11 sites and why did they not proceed? I think the answer is yes. Yes, right? we, we can do that. that. And that'll be part of these uh, in these reports I'm discussing right. for each. There'll be a, a short summary, so you can get in as deep or as up high level as you, as you like. Okay, thank you, Margaret. Yeah. Do you have any other questions, Bill? Uh, not this time, Rick. I, I'd like to just do a, a simple follow-up on one one specific question that was that one of the people from the public, one of the public members, uh, expressed a concern that this is just an exercise in appearing to have a public process that is considering all these alternative sites when in fact it's really not uh, substantive and that it's really not considering that and it. I, I guess I'm not accusing you of that, but why should they, why should the public believe that there really is a serious consideration of other sites when there's no history of King County ever choosing a site that they didn't already own? Well, you know, the fact that we chose sites that we have in the past, uh, reflects that we, we chose good sites, right? It means in the case of Algona, we, we purchased a, an available parcel that uh, has proven to be a, a good site to serve that community. Um, there aren't those kinds of opportunities in the Northeast part of the territory. There's, there's not a bunch of open parcels that we could say, hey, let's go buy some land so that we'd have this, right? Um, so, you know, the situation's just a little bit different there. And I, uh, I would just ask that uh, you uh, allow us to earn your trust through this process, right? I mean, if, if you're starting from a point of distrust, I, I, I'll accept that. Um, and we'll go through this process and share our information, explain uh, our reasoning uh, in hopes that at a minimum, you'll understand it, uh, and it'll be clear, and and perhaps you'll even agree with it. Um, and we'll work really hard to to earn that that trust and demonstrate to you that uh, I will tell you I uh, ultimately uh, I have to make this decision, and I don't know where this transfer station is going to go. I really don't. Um, and uh, but it's this kind of dialogue, and it's an extensive. Uh, analysis that that my staff uh, and our, our hired experts uh, outside of, of the county help us to get this right. It's that 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 sweet spot of community input uh, and and experts uh, that come together and and all with a, a very dedicated purpose in mind. And and I will have to tell you that you know the solid waste division is absolutely committed to serve your community 
in a way that uh, respects the environment in which we're operating uh, and uh, the, the community in which we reside. And we want to get this right. Wherever it's located, we want to know that it's gonna serve your community just as well as any other community uh, in the Northeast. And, and uh, I, I, I hope that you will see as we, as we engage in this process, as we have this dialogue, um, that, that you'll see our actions really reflect that. You know, that, that's all I can ask is, is give us a chance in this process. And um, I, I, I think you will find that, uh, that you can trust us. You still may not agree with us, right? I, uh, but, but it won't be a basis of, uh, because of trust. Okay, that's fair enough, Pat. And I didn't mean it in any accusatory manner I, in any way. Yeah, no, I, I I'm simply trying to reflect, you know, logically, if it's never been <laughs> developed on a site that you don't own, and you, yeah. you got to say, well, okay, then how sure. real is this process? So at any yeah. rate, let's move on. Uh, uh, Betsy, do you have questions? Is Betsy still with us? If, if Betsy is with us, are I'm, you... I'm here. Sorry. Yeah. Hello. Um, been following along. So this is, this is difficult for me. I've been on this council a long time. It's very discouraging to hear that you don't even know about the memorandum of understanding that was created between your division and our city. It's, it's very discouraging to me that you aren't even aware of it and that somehow that didn't come up when you're doing all this research on sites. So that makes it difficult for me to go along with this trust that you're talking about because um, I think that the neighbors who have lived there a long time, those of us who have been part of the city for a long time, um, we felt like we had an understanding that 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 capacity was not going to be raised on that site. And that by now, that site was going to be abandoned for someplace else. And so now all of a sudden, it's feeling like a done deal that you're going to put an even bigger facility there. So that's what is difficult, I think, for me right now. And so you are going to have to earn my trust. And I hope you can. Um, I was very just, dis, dis, I mean, partly I think because of that memorandum of understanding and how the community has trusted our city and Solid Works, neighborhood ha that neighborhood has grown. There's a lot of new houses there that weren't there 10, 20 years ago. And, and way back when you bought that long, long, long time ago. And so there are lots of little kids there. There is a walk route to the school there. There's an equestrian park right across the street with horses. Um, it's, it's really a tricky location um, for safety. And so that's what concerns me. And then the rest of the site is is, is, is a very hazardous area. So the, I, I'll be interested in seeing the EIS. But I guess, how does the, the issue of being in close proximity to a school and to ch children and a park, how does, that, how does that come into your EIS? How is that 
How is that going to be judged? That's my question. Well, we're looking the e so the EIS, which is a very important part of this process, is only part of the process. It's focused on the environmental aspects. Right. Right. Uh, there are other uh, uh, aspects that also we talk about financial aspects and equity aspects and, and, and others. So uh, certainly the, um, you know, traffic is part of the uh, considerations. We do look at uh, proximity to other, uh, other facilities uh, such as schools. So all of these things ultimately are taken into consideration. We, we will not cite, we never have cited a facility without taking all of those elements into consideration. Okay, thank you. Do you have any other questions, Betsy? Um, I think Bill asked my question because I was wondering why that 39 acres for $695,000 wasn't chosen. <laughs> that seemed like a great deal to me. <laughs> okay. Um, Ruth, do you have any questions, specific questions? I guess I should give you guys heads up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Ruth, Larry, John. In Thank order. you. I thought you were going alphabetical. So uh, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm out of order. I'm trying to go. I was trying to picture how we all sit because usually I start at one end of the dais <laughs> and just work my way down the dais. And I'm trying to remember, okay, where does everybody sit? So <laughs> that's, where, that's where I'm at, just so you okay. know. Good. Good to know. Good to know. Um, you answered a lot of the questions already that I had taken notes of because we had some emails before yep. um, from residents in the area and um, and I appreciate everything you've done so far and I like what you've had to say so far and going through the process because it has to be it just it's just mind-boggling the number of steps you have to go through but I just, um, my one question was, is one of the emails from a community member stated that um, there was a position statement from the city of Kirkland stating that the Kirkland transfer station was to close in 2000, 2000 when the Lake Washington transfer station opened. Well, I'm assuming Lake Washington station never opened, but that it's, I'm just, if, if these comments are being made and same thing with the MOU, um, that um, if everyone's expecting it to be closed and all of a sudden it's on the short list, it's kind of concerning to me. Um, so that's just more of a comment on, on that. The other thing is you commented on um, that, let's see, well, let me look at my notes that there's there's positives to a city having it having the transfer station right there and um like lower trash rates and that um however um i don't know how much lower it would be for that because i know i used to be in kenmore and we had low trash rates and there was no transfer station there we came down to this one actually um the other one was that that cities get money for uh, collection stations and special collections, but Lake Washington High School always seems to have the big old collection parking lot where you can take 
batteries and stuff that don't come to a transfer station. So we still managed to pay for that kind of thing anyway. Um, I guess these are more comments. My question out though on the environmental issues. So they, they, you take two to three uh, sites and you put them through that process. And, and what if it turns out that they don't meet the standards that you've set, then what happens? Yeah, that's a great question. And I also want to address some of the other comments, if I may, because you mm -hmm. make some important comments. First of all, the fact that, you know, uh, and Betsy, you, you, you know, shared your concern that, uh, you know, the fact that I haven't seen this MOU is concerning to you. I haven't seen the MOU, but that's not to say that I haven't heard or I haven't really known that uh, the community at large has, has long had uh, a hope and even an expectation that the station was going to close. I, I, I've known that uh, for years, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, not not from a, uh, a a legally binding you know position, but just just this uh, anticipation that it's going to close, um, because I know that in in uh, the former comp plan back from two thousand and one, it said that when replacement capacity was available, the station would close, right? Um, and I recognize the. Um, the, the sour taste uh, is probably not a great way to put it, but the thought that, well, hey, we closed the old station and we rebuilt the new one at the same location, but we closed the old station. I get that that doesn't, that doesn't rest well, right? What we're trying to do, wherever it is located, is bring the, the needed uh, expanded services for the growing community. Um, but I, I just want you to know, it's not lost on me that this community is, uh, is concerned uh, about, uh, about its location or about really the fate of the existing station. But the community has also told us in our surveys that proximity, in, in other words, access to, is what really the, I think the word was, the surveys, access to these transfer stations was really important to them. Because uh, actually in this case, we anticipate being able to, when we talk about expanded recycling services, that includes uh, household hazardous types of materials that give you uh, uh, easier access to dispose of some of those hazardous materials, doing a better job to keep them out of the landfill as well. Um, to, your, to your final question, I've almost forgot what it was, Ruth. Um, remind me, I did forget what it was. What was your actual final question? So you put you have the the two to three that you take to the environmental, oh. and then and what, yeah, what, what if, if right right what if we get to the end and really there's there, there's fatal flaws on them? Well, one of so we we take two or three of these sites into the EIS process, but there's always another option, and it's called the no action alternative, and this is this is required by state law that we don't get to just take two or three sites and you know, hope that one of them works. We also have to study the no action alternative. So part of our environmental study will be, well, what if Houghton just remained as is? What are the, because there are environmental impacts associated with that decision too. So that too is studied. 
because we have to provide service to the community. And so if we don't successfully find uh, these two or three locations to work, then no action alternative will carry until we can try it again, right? Okay. So we'll study that as well. Okay, great. Uh, just one last comment. I just feel like, as with anything, it, that nothing ever goes follows the timeline. But if, as, if 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 this was supposed to have been done and decided in 2000, and then we're 20 years later, and now I feel like all of a sudden we're up against a wall, whereas maybe 20 years ago there might have been more sites to choose, and then this kind of pushes it to where we're forced to choose uh, less desirable sites. Um, but that's always been the way anything runs, I suppose. So but anyway, thanks for your time. Thank you. Uh, for before we move to Larry, I see that uh, Jeremy has a hand up. Jeremy, you have something to say? I don't. I don't know why my hand is up. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm going to move on to Larry. Well, great. Thank you all. Uh, good discussion. Eye opening, ear opening. Uh, so um, a lot of the discussions already questions I had, but one of them that uh, we haven't talked about is how much, what's the tonnage of the, for the current Houghton transfer station and how will that change with an expanded uh, facility wherever that may be? On my list. <laughs> Um, I'll uh, have one of my team members message me the tonnage. I don't, I don't have it off uh, the top of my head, but I'll, I suspect I'll have that here in a moment. Uh, we don't expect the, the tonnage to change as a result of the location, uh, except to say that the tonnage of recycling would be expected to be increased, but really that's a diversion of it going instead of in the garbage pile into the recycling pile. So the, the overall tonnage uh, shouldn't uh, really be affected as a relationship to where this facility is located or even how it's designed. It, it, it must be designed sufficient to serve the growing communities in the Northeast part of the county. I guess that was the bigger part of the question. If we're at 100 right now, is the design trying to make that 150, 200, 110, whatever it may be. Yeah. So if it stayed in the same location uh, up there, you know, what's the level of increase in- uh, I, I will, yes, I understand that, that's good. You know, our, our tonnage projections for garbage are relatively flat. Um, you know, we, we've been experiencing a decline in tonnage um, we, we will see uh, a modest increase in the years to come. However, we have some very specific uh, initiatives that are being evaluated presently uh, that can get at that garbage. Sadly, 70% of what goes to the landfill every day could be recycled, 70%. So okay. we send 140 trucks up to the landfill every day you think about how many truckloads, you know, that's like a, you know, 115 truckloads or something like that, that really don't belong in the landfill at all. Um, and so we, we actually are, are 
uh, hoping to change in a dramatic way uh, the, the tonnage curve because of the extensive amount of recycling that's actually currently mixed in there. Okay. But, uh, with with, with uh, solid waste and recycling, uh, you identified that the, the new facilities can re reduce the amount of outbound compacted to the uh, landfill by about a third of the number of trucks. That's correct. Uh, but with the increase in recycling and others type of stuff, I guess the question is, and I know you don't have the answer, it'll come out through the EIS and, and all, but order of magnitude, but the, what would be the increase in trucks, both it's recycling or other, uh, to whatever site it is, uh, because not only the number of trucks coming in, but then they leave empty. So this is getting on some of the traffic issues that people raise and the safety issues and things like that. Sure. It, the reality is that um, most of the recycling doesn't happen at the uh, transfer stations. There's a lot that does, um, but most of it's happening at the curb. So most of that diversion is happening right at your curbside, not actually from the station. So, uh, you know, again, yes, we will... Uh, you know, we'll have that expanded service. And I, I think that will mean that uh, more materials will get recovered. But I, I think that mostly it's just shifting instead of them getting thrown away, uh, someone who's bringing them in will be more likely to, to put them on uh, in the recycling area. So I, I don't think that we're anticipating uh, an increase in tonnage uh, uh, as a result of this modern station. It, it, it's, uh, it might be a shift of tonnage and, and really it might even be a decline as a result of broader county policies that divert more resources at the curb. Because we would, it's, you. it's better uh, if we recycle at the curb. Uh, by the time it gets to the transfer stations, it's more likely contaminated and much more difficult to get to. Okay, uh, at this stage where you have four sites, are all four sites deemed equal in meeting the demand? Um, are all four sites? Currently, because they got, they got screened down to the four sites, so yeah. would they all be considered right now at least up to the, the, the minimum to meet the demands that you guys are pro projecting? Uh, yes, you know, again, no design has actually been uh, created for these sites, but, but we believe that any of the four sites are likely to be able to accommodate uh, the demand. Uh, but that's some of the further vetting that would take place. And by the way, the Houghton Transfer Station handles about 17% of the, uh, uh, the waste in the county, about 17%. Uh, 140, about 144,000 tons in 2018 is a reference point. So it's a lot. There's, there's a lot yeah. of waste there. And this question is probably more directed to Jeremy since uh, you had nothing to do with our public uh, city of Kirkland public planning calendar. Uh, but Jeremy, on the April 26th meeting for us, it says County Solid Waste Northeast Transfer Station Siting Overview. Is that just a, a misprint? That um, is not a misprint. That's Jeremy typing something in the wrong place. 
Okay. So the next question then would be, generally when would we might see uh, another presentation on where you're at after you've got down to the three, two or three sites for the EIS uh, and kind of the summaries of that? So we're happy to come back at any point in time throughout this process. Uh, a probable sensible time would be when we've made that decision to the two or three sites. Um, so uh, that's, uh, I think we've said, said that's in the third quarter, um, you know, uh, early summer would be a, a good time to come back and, and, and re-engage. But quite honestly, if you'd like us back sooner, uh, we're happy to come back at any time. Thank you. That's all, Rick. All right. John, your, uh, your turn. John Kaplan. Uh, thank you, Pat. Thanks for the presentation. The first question I have is for Jeremy McMahon, and it has to do with a community survey that I believe closed uh, to, uh, uh, Thursday or yesterday, or I'm sorry, Jeremy, I'm forgetting. But is that information that we're going to get from uh, the community survey, the information is going to come to us? I'll, I'll actually let Pat answer that. I assume that will be included in future um, reporting and updates to the webpage, which um, when that's available, we can send that link out to the community council. Yes. Is that something that takes a while to compile or is it just like raw data that once it's finished? It so let me make sure I'm tracking the, the report you're, you're referring to. Um, yeah, thank you for asking. I understood that there was a community survey that went out. Uh, I got an email from somebody about that, that there was a community survey and information on this survey was going to be collected and disseminated. I just haven't seen anything yet, so I was just curious about it. And I actually thought it was something the city was doing, not waste management, which is why I asked you, Jeremy. So. Okay, thank, thank you for and that. And I can answer that if you like, Pat. Uh, sure. So Thank you. We expect to get the survey results from our consultant that will have some um, high-level analysis done, and likely tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, and then we want to, you know, look it over, make sure we understand what was said, what what, what the what was expressed by residents and all who took the survey. Um, and then we can make that available. We'll be sharing it with uh, representatives of from the. Uh, for Northeast cities uh, in early March, and we can include notifying the council of those results as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next question I think is for uh, Jeremy McMahon, and it has to do with, we have a neighborhood plan of the area that discusses phasing out of the um, transfer station the neighborhood plan gets incorporated into the comprehensive plan, but then as the packet is notated, there's an RCW 36-78-200, number five, which specifically says no long, it reads, no local comprehensive plan or development regulation may preclude the siting of essential public facilities. And we've already talked about public facilities. So I wanna know has, uh, staff and city management discuss this with relation to how this process is working. 
Um, I would say no, we haven't directly. I think um, the policy language in the comprehensive plan was developed at, you know, it's kind of the same vintage as the memorandum of understanding that was discussed earlier. Um, so um, to the extent that um, the policy direction and the um, potential citing decisions reflect something different than previous understandings, then it would probably be timely to revisit some of those policies. Okay, uh, thank you. So uh, yeah, and, and we, uh, many of us were around on the memorandum of understanding and certainly believed that that was incorporated into the neighborhood plan and the comprehensive plan. So none of us are surprised by like that, by like by the memorandum of understanding and what the expectations were as Betsy Pringle mentioned. Um, uh, Pat, a question for you. Your presentation had four sites mentioned. Uh, our document had five finalist sites, but on the four sites, two are in Kirkland, two are outside of Kirkland. Uh, the two outside of Kirkland are large per parcels personally owned by entities other than government entities. What sort of conversations has waste management had with those entities to date regarding purchase and sale agreements, understandings of possibility of purchasing, um, or were they purely selected based on size from a map? So uh, the Solid Waste Division, uh, in fact, uh, myself personally, uh, reached out and spoke with the uh, property owners or representatives of the property owners uh, in each of those cases. Uh, we notified them uh, that their parcels had been identified through this process that we've kind of been talking about this evening um, and uh, that we uh, intend to further evaluate their uh, parcel as a prospective location for uh, this project. Uh, and that we uh, encouraged their uh, feedback, uh, you know, and, and participation in the process, certainly to inform uh, our uh, ultimate, uh, ultimate decision-making. So, uh, you know, we have not engaged in discussions around purchase and sale agreements because that's really premature at this, at this stage. We are really just trying to evaluate and understand uh, the relative uh, nature of these parcels. You know, we haven't, we haven't been on those private parcels. We, we've not been on site uh, to walk the lands and, and survey uh, the environment. What we know is what's available uh, through other public records uh, and the sort. So that's why you know, there, there's a lot of work ahead of us uh, to, to really evaluate uh, uh, these sites uh, uh, further through the process. So hopefully that gives you an idea of the, the discussions that we've, that we've had uh, with those property owners. So when, when you discovered that Quadrant was moving forward with limited drawings for over 200 dwelling units. Um, did you reach out to them to discuss that? So yes, I, I spoke directly with them. And, and when I made that notif uh, notification, uh, they shared that with me directly. Okay. So, um, okay. 
Um, I have a question for council member Toby Nixon. If uh, he's still on the line with it, looks like he is. By the way, we're, I think, very honored by you coming to our meeting, Mr. Nixon. That's really wonderful. I had a question specifically for you about the uh, Minage storage site on 124th. That was one of the sites that was recommended by the Kirkland City Council to be excluded. And, and I'm reading in our development packet on page eight, one of the items mentioned was conflicts with future economic development. And I um, that that's a site that's got great proximity to the freeway. It's surrounded by commercial buildings. Uh, is this future economic development based on the private property rights or based on potential, uh, you know, if it becomes an auto road, the city taxes are, there's a great benefit to the city there. And so I'm just trying to understand, I'm just trying to understand that, obviously. No, it's, it's more about the fact, and, and thank you for the question, John. It's more about the fact that this is in the regional urban center, which Totem Lake is designated. Uh, the zoning allows, and um, Jeremy might be able to refresh my memory, it's like 10 to 15 story buildings uh, are zoned in that location. It's really considered to be the core of the urban center. And so to replace such an important urban center with a transfer station wouldn't seem to a lot of people to make sense. Oh, okay, that, that makes sense to me, perfect. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, so I have a question now for Pat about the small site development and you're mentioning that the city of Seattle has had some success with the site doing that. Um, in the uh, 11 sites looked at in our packet, there's really only one small site mentioned and it would seem to me that if an idea is passed forward to look at developing small sites, we'd need more than one site to make up for the loss of one large site. Have other small sites been looked at to combine together to equal the loss of one large site and where would they be? So can you clarify what you mean by making up for the loss of a large site? Um, I'm talking in terms of acreage now, uh, and we've, we've heard today that, you know, over eight acres is prime for this sort of facility, and we're looking at a site that is a little more than five acres. So I would assume that we would need, I'm making the assumption, I guess, in asking, sure. would we, if we did a small site project, would we need more than one to make up the loss for what's being referred as a large light? Uh, and how would how would you help us understand the difference between what's been discussed as a small site versus a large site? Right. Thank you for that clarification. Um, in each of these cases where we've identified uh, these four sites, they've been identified uh, with our operating assumption that they would serve as the only uh, service location for the Northeast. So in the case of the park and ride, uh, if we were to ultimately select that location, we would be doing so with the belief uh, that it could 
uh, adequately serve the Northeast community as a whole. Okay. So we would not be looking for additional sites as a result of choosing a, that smaller one. I've, I've been doing some really quick math. I want to make sure I'm kind of understand what you're mentioning. If, if a newer facility compacts and better curbside recycling happens based on the amounts that you're talking that the compaction could reduce as much as a third the number of trucks and with recycling done properly, our tonnage would not be expected to increase. Does that mean that we should expect one, two thirds less traffic generated by a compaction site? Uh, one third less traffic. Okay, so it's 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 not one third of it's one third less. Okay. Yes. Okay. So we should expect less traffic. That means you have less queue space and everything else. So that's kind of helping me understand that this so-called small site might work instead of large. Okay. Thank you. Um, the next question for Pat is. Have you ever in developing a um, waste management property partnered with any other King County facility to do some sort of joint use trash compaction with some other public service facility besides outdoor baseball fields or something like that? I, you know, I'm just doing my round robin of our other uh, facilities and I, in terms of a transfer station, uh, all of our transfer stations are uh, really single use uh, purposes. They, they have community center rooms and in, uh, in some of them so that uh, they, they provide access for the community for meetings and meeting space, et cetera, or educational centers uh, envisioned. Uh, in the in the new South County Station, but in terms of a co-location, really the the uh, the one example would be hazardous waste. So the hazardous waste program uh, is a program from King County Seattle Public Health, the City of Seattle, uh, and the Solid Waste Division working together uh, to provide that service, and so. I suppose that's an example of a co-location that we uh, currently have uh, at our Factoria station, or plan to also have in South County, uh, and uh, could also then uh, offer here in the Northeast County. That would be probably the, the most relevant example that, I, that uh, I could share with you. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that and, and sort of jump to the next question. Um, what sort of studies have you done to date to, um, to analyze utilizing a potential brown site and encapsulating the soil to ensure that the people that go to these sites um, uh, are protected, the neighborhood is properly, the, the, the construction area is properly encapsulated and uh, is protected as well. What studies have you done to date on that? So we have that requirement now. Um, our requirement for our active landfill and certainly for our closed landfill, uh, you know, uh, 
include making sure that the community is safe. Uh, and so that, that's a current operating uh, permit requirement uh, that we uh, abide by. Uh, we will study further, uh, you know, the potential use of this property um, and, you know, what, what additional environmental impacts could be associated with it. But I, I think the, you know, the, the baseline uh, current practice has uh, kept the community safe. Uh, and we do that through regular monitoring uh, of the, uh, the environmental systems surrounding the landfill. And so then back to my previous question, if, if we can make the facility safe, um, what about partnering for other sort of King County uses that are in dire need in a regional area uh, um, on a, a large site like a swimming pool? Yeah. I, I think partnering uh, to uh, meet the community at large needs is really smart. Um, you know, we have uh, at our landfill, actually, at our active landfill, uh, part of the property is used for transitional housing uh, for women and children uh, under, uh, you know, challenging uh, life uh, transition circumstances. Uh, in this case, you know, uh, wherever the land, wherever the, uh, uh, transfer station is located, you know, this engagement process doesn't uh, end with uh, the siting process. You know, the whole development of that property uh, needs to benefit from ongoing community engagement to inform those potential partnerships. So uh, I think that's a very important uh, aspect to, uh, to consider. Okay, and then I believe my last question is, I'm just confirming of the four sites you discussed, the only one that would need it, that would not need a capital expenditure for acquisition is the Houghton Transfer Station. That's correct. Okay, all right. Thank, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Um, I'm gonna ask a couple more questions and then I think can maybe wrap things up. I. Uh, failed to uh, comment on, or not comment, uh, try to try to get your response to um, one of the community members were worried that you might um, use part of the property, not just as a, as a transfer station, but as a staging area in addition to the transfer station. And that would um, really uh, use up a lot of the available, like they, they were particularly in, concerned about losing the um, play area at Taylor Fields, if that were to happen. So could you comment about that possibility? Yeah, I'm not sure what sort of staging area they were, they were worried about. Um, our, our project focus is, is simply a, a transfer station uh, facility. And we love uh, providing the ball fields uh, for the community. Um, if, if the community interest changes, that's fine, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, we, whether it's ball fields at, at Houghton, uh, we, in, in uh, Hobart, uh, at a closed landfill in Hobart, we have a, a, a model airplane uh, club that uh, uses that site on a regular basis. And um, we have a nursery that we host at one of our locations. So, you know, we're, we're really open and, and the more community benefit that uh, uh, 
our properties where we are residing and trying to serve the community, but if we can pro provide uh, ancillary benefits through through those types of programs, we're, we're very interested in, in exploring that. Okay. But I, I don't know what, you know, what the staging uh, references to. This project is uh, very laser focused on uh, a replacement facility for the Houghton Transfer Station uh, that would include you know, recycling, perhaps hazardous management materials, but the general transfer of, of waste uh, to the landfill. Okay, next question I have is, um, are there uh, any situations where, are, are you able to, um, to have a legally binding limitation on the, uh, the areas of, of capacity, the tonnage, the, the vehicle, the, uh, and amount of traffic, et cetera, that, that could be um, something that we, we can know that it's not gonna exceed X amount going into the future? Yeah, so each of, uh, each of our facilities operates under an annual permit that's issued by public health, King, uh, Seattle King County Public Health. They're our, our most local regulator. Um, and so uh, all the operating conditions are established through that permit uh, process, and uh, and there is a you know a, a public process associated with that. So, um, you know that's 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 how that would be how that would be managed. And as I say, it's it's a, a, an annual permit. But there could not be as a lifetime limit on the facility as a condition for the approval. Well, if you're talking about you know approvals from uh, I get approvals from who you know? from, from from in other words, it, it, we're getting to if if this if the site in Houghton was yeah. the one that ultimately was selected, mm -hmm. and then we go through the the permit process and we um, are able to put reasonable conditions on it. That's what I'm getting at. Can we? Can you envision? Are there examples where there have been okay. absolute capacity limits that have been put in place on any of your facilities? Um, no, not as you've described it. I can't think of any such examples. Is there a reason that we couldn't uh, be the first to enact such a limit? You know, I, I think we. Uh, it, in my mind, we have to uh, consider what we're trying to achieve through the location of a facility um, and um, what it means to the community uh, if we restrict our ability to service the community. Um, so, because if you play that forward, regardless, regardless of where it is, if we make an investment and it is a capital investment uh, and there's an operating cost to it as well. And we have consciously decided already that we weren't going to locate multiple stations because one option we had was, well, why don't we put a station here and another station here? That's very expensive and, and at least twice as difficult, right? Yeah. Um, and so if similarly, if, if we have one location, but, but then put some sort of restrictions on its operating capabilities, um, we just have to be conscious of uh, what that means in terms of 
does that does that suggest to them we are going to have to site another facility? Um, and uh, you know, if if the first one wasn't in your neighborhood, the second one might, right? So I, I think we just have to be conscious of what that means. Now, if it's if it's you know that that's true both from an environmental standpoint as well. So we're looking at a facility that has the capability of serving the community for 50 years. You know, we're really looking out, but our, our, our focus and our commitment is to drive waste tonnage down. And we actually see a pathway to do that. Um, and, uh, it, but it, it takes you know, community effort to make that so. Um, that, I don't think that's gonna be giving the community a great deal of comfort that there's no, there's no uh, reasonable limitation, that, that, that there's nothing that could be done that would say, well, that it, it's not going to exceed a certain level that, um, that would be the threshold for what is considered un unreasonable or un unacceptable levels of impact. But well, I, guess, uh, again, I think uh, in, impact is, is, is different than, you know, I think, and I may have misheard you, but if, if you put a, uh, a limit, say, on tonnage, right, um, well, where would, this is the community's garbage, right? So where would the community's garbage go if we said you can't take it here? I, I don't know where it would go, right? So we have to have a plan if we're going to put uh, a limit, and even if we had the capacity to, to handle that, if we were going to put uh, an artificial limit in place, we just have to have a plan of, well, where would the other garbage go? Because the community will still expect to have a place for that to go. But when you talk about impacts, that is different. I, you know, we have an obligation. In fact, our agreement, uh, our interlocal agreement with the city of Kirkland requires us on an ongoing basis to mitigate the impacts associated with that operation. Um, so that doesn't change. You know, we always will hold that responsibility. Okay. Um, and, and last, I guess, in the interest of, of trying to promote uh, getting the, the community's input on how to address, if it was possible to address their concerns for safety and, and all the things that they've brought out, as well as uh, introducing the, the potential amenities to you know, make, make it more of a positive thing for the community. Um, how, how uh, what's, what's the best way to, um, for, the, for the community to be uh, pushing that process? What, Yes, thank you. Thank you for, for asking that. Um, stay engaged, right? I, I think obviously uh, them participating in, in your community council is a great way, right? Um, because you're, you're even closer to that community than we are. Uh, we're going to continue uh, to invite people to sign up for uh, information. Again, you can do that through uh, our website. Um, and I want, I need some, it's uh, kingcounty.gov forward slash Northeast, right? There's a project website and you can sign up for, for informational uh, uh, you know, updates. Um, 
come to uh, the community meetings, uh, invite us to your other community meetings. If you have other civic organizations or other uh, community groups that, that uh, want to engage on this, uh, we will make ourselves available. Um, you know, know who your uh, community representatives are and, and make sure that they understand your, your thoughts and ideas and concerns of the sort. Um, you know, reach out, uh, reach out to us via email. How, however, whatever works, right? Um, we're, we want to hear from you and, and, uh, and we, will, we will engage uh, with you in return. And, and my goal uh, throughout this process uh, is uh, to, as best as we can, eliminate surprise, right? Uh, so it's our, it's our responsibility to be transparent. Um, and help you understand kind of what our plan is, how we're going to do it, and, and when we make decisions, why we made those decisions. Um, and so uh, we'll endeavor to do that. Uh, this process um, isn't fast, and we recognize that, that that's painful in of itself because I understand your community members are worried about this, and, and I wish we could, have, we could get this over with very quickly, but we need to do it right, and we need to provide an adequate opportunity for, for that engagement. And that takes time, uh, but we'll just do our best to, to, uh, to be available and responsive to those uh, uh, community members throughout this process. And certainly uh, to this council, especially, we're happy to come back anytime. And thank you, Pat and Margaret for your, your generous time. Any, oh, John, you've got a hand up. Did you have a question? Oh yeah, thank. Sorry, Betsy, were you? Oh, and Betsy too. I apologize. Yeah. Hey, John, can go first. Uh, thank you. Uh, I actually have a question for uh, Jeremy McMahon. Uh, a couple of months ago, there was an ordinance passed regarding public buildings usurping the process of design review. And Jeremy, please forgive me. I don't remember the exact name of that ordinance. I want to know, would this be a building that falls in that category and would bypass many of the procedures that we have in place uh, for scrutiny? No, um, there were no changes made as part of that public project streamlining project that would impact the siting of this facility in Kirkland. So I think what you're referring to specifically is the design regulations and design review process, which doesn't apply in these zones in Kirkland. Design review applies in like our, our mixed use business districts, et cetera. So that decision wouldn't have any impact on this facility. Thank you. Betsy. Your turn. Sorry, unmuted. Um, if I could just, uh, I've unmuted now, okay. Just a couple questions. Um, because I'm looking at some of the fact sheets, like I'm looking at the Factoria fact sheet for the Factoria station, and it says that it takes 15% of the solid waste in King County. Is that, and, you, and you're saying that Houghton is now taking 17%? You know, that was a, that was a 2018 figure. Um, it actually, it, it may still be 17%, but in 2018, it was the hundred and, I'm looking at my notes here, about 143,000, but it dropped because as I said, we've seen a decline. So it went from 144,000 in 2018 down to just about 123,000 last year. 
That was Victoria Houghton. or Houghton? No, that's your Houghton station. Houghton station. But it's still probably, uh, it's still probably about 17% of the total. Yeah. Okay. Another question. Um, the, um, you know, you've, I've, I've looked at the, the different ones that you guys have been doing in King County and they're all very large facilities, but I've also looked at the one in Wallingford in, in Seattle, which is on a five acre site. It does, it looks to me, I calculate a hundred thousand more tons a year than um, what the Factoria one does. It does, it's, it's, it looks to me like it's a lot more efficient on five acres, they go down, you know, it's, it's, it, it goes down. It's a beautiful facility. It is. It's, it's a, I mean, it looks like a library. It's a beautiful facility. So I guess my point is when we're looking at this small site at the park and ride, or we're looking at this giant site at the existing facility, mm -hmm. There is an opportunity to have a small, beautiful, very efficient site if King County wants to go that way. They are not spending the money on buying the land, so there's money there that they would have spent, you know, on, on property someplace else. And so I guess I just want to throw that out there that I think that we would be looking at efficiency aesthetic beauty, strong environmental stuff, and, 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 um, and if there's a way to route kids through that site safely so they're not walking on the street next to those trash trucks coming around. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying we need to be really creative here because there's not very many sites in your pocket and two of them are in our neighborhood. So. Yeah. I uh, completely agree with what you said, Betsy. Okay. Completely agree. Okay. Brian, did you have a question? Could you unmute, yeah. Brian? Yeah. yeah. Um, my question is, um, you know, you mentioned the what the potential acquisition cost was for the other lot in the 500 and some million. What is the budget for this whole project in general? Because I would imagine using this smaller footprint and going down would be much more expensive. Um, and there's gotta be a reason that smaller parcels weren't considered in the first place um, is just the default. And I would imagine that's money so do you, is there a, an estimated budget for this whole thing? And what is the difference between uh, budgeting for the smaller parcel versus a, spreading it out? Yes, so um, the, the budget is uh, $177 million, I believe. Um, the, um, the fact is the, Constructing like the Wallingford uh, Seattle North Transfer Station <clears throat> to construct on a small site like that where you're going up and down, the construction is more expensive, but you're having to buy less land, but you will, you will generally spend more in the construction cost. Um, the, uh, the $177 million budget does not assume a specific design. It certainly can, it, 
I shouldn't say that. It, it assumes a larger, uh, you know, that, that it's going to be a larger parcel and a more traditional uh, design. But uh, I think there's about a $38 million assumption in terms of property acquisition in there. So there's a few variables here uh, as to, um, you know, A, do we have to buy land? And even if we didn't buy land, it doesn't mean we have to build big. I think that's part of what, what Betsy's point was, right? Uh, even if we uh, have a large parcel, it doesn't mean it has to be developed uh, entirely. So those are variables that as we do the environmental assessment, uh, I think we can better understand uh, you know, and be informed as to what makes sense. Any other questions? <clears throat> I, I really appreciate the time you've spent with us, Pat, and uh, you've been very forthright, and, uh, and I look forward to working with you in the process going forward, and uh, hopefully uh, we, we can get something that is, uh, well, regardless of whether it's cited in Houghton or not, that the, the, the process is something that the neighbors can feel confident in and feel they, they trust that it's, it's been a fair process and, and it's really taking into consideration all of their concerns. So. Right, and, and thank you again for this opportunity. And, and regardless of where it's cited, it's gonna serve this community. And, and so we wanna get it right, uh, both yeah. in location as well as an ultimate uh, design and amenities. And, and so Very we're, we're grateful to have, uh, have this opportunity to engage with this council and, and your community members. All right, thank you, Pat. Thank you and have a great evening. Yep. Um, so with that, I think that fulfills uh, all of the business for our meeting tonight, unless somebody has something that I'm not aware of I am going to adjourn the meeting because in Arizona, it's 11 o'clock at night and that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> hey Rick, I just want to make sure that we can understand next steps and what the expectations are for information coming back to us and certainly reaching out to all the citizens that are listening to continue to email us and email the city so they can stay involved in the process, that sort of thing. Okay. Before we get off topic on this, please. Jeremy, do you want to comment on that? I think um, everybody's best bet, so the community who's listening and even um, community council members, is to sign up for the email um, uh, newsletters that are available on the county's website. Then you'll get kind of the blow-by-blow -blow of what's happening. It's so every time there's an update to the project webpage or whether survey results are released or what have you, that information will be available. And if you ever, if any of you become aware of a point where you feel like it would be a good time to invite King County back, we'll definitely reach out to them. Um, and certainly, you know, before the SEPA process begins in earnest, that would be a, a good point to check back with you all. Excellent. And if King County forwards you the results to their uh, community survey, you'll forward those off to us? You bet. Thank you. I saw Larry's hand up. Larry, did you have something? Well, I'd like it if the city council or planning commission or others are going to be briefed on this topic, that somehow it gets, uh, hopefully there's a way for the, the community, the citizens to know about that as well, as opposed to just through King County's website, because we're not sure, I'm not certain how much King County is sending out 
Uh, I had signed up quite a while ago and I, I didn't get an alert of this meeting from King County on it. So I want, just want to make sure that it, we're doing as much as we can to make sure that communication happens on when there's opportunities for input. Good point. Anyone else? Well, uh, item to that point, should we have some sort of task force internally to make sure that a couple members stay on top of everything and report back? I would welcome that. Are you volunteering, John? Uh, I'm happy. Yes, <laughs> I'll volunteer for that. All right. Is there anyone else who would like to be on this subcommittee? I'll join them. Okay, Larry. Anyone else want to join that? All right, so John and Larry are going to form a subcommittee that's going to uh, take special interest in making sure that we're all informed and that we're, uh, we're integrally involved in this process. I appreciate that very much. But Brian got as closest to it. Thank you. <laughs> he... I'm sorry, uh, I can't hear you, Larry. Um, <laughs> right. I think our time's up. Yeah. Uh, I, I also wanted to uh, express uh, appreciation. I know um, a, a, a huge amount uh, of the public just logged off right when you ended the, the session a minute ago with uh, Pat. But for those of you that are still on the line, um, thank you for attending. It means a lot yeah. to all of us. And it means a lot. I don't think that you're overwhelming us at all. In fact, I think that's one of the things that energizes us is to see public participation. And it's even more difficult when we're in this Zoom COVID bubble. And hopefully we will see all of you in person sometime in the near future when this is blown over. Excellent. I appreciate that very much, Brian. And with that, I'm going to adjourn this meeting. It's great seeing you all. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.